Hey, Cam. Yes, Alex. You know, we're recording our season finale tonight, the, the, the last episode of our World Series season. Ooh, you're right. You're right. We sure are, man. You got to got to go out with a bang. Leave, leave the leave the fans happy, you know. I don't know. I, I've I've seen a lot of a lot of season finales that uh, that left something to be desired, to say the least. Ooh, yeah, you're right. Well, at least like our finale is not going to go out like the Sopranos and just cut off mid set. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Chatting Average Podcast with your hosts, Riley's Race and the Big Chop Man. Welcome to your friendly neighborhood world champion Atlanta Braves podcast. Welcome to Chatting Average. I'm your host, Alex, joined as always by Mr. Cam Matthews. Cam, how are you doing tonight? What? Shaking, bacon. Oh, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. We we we, we got a big show for our season finale. It's Ooh, mercy. It's, it's a it's a real bit, arguably our biggest show. Uh, but we'll let you be the judge of that. In the meantime, Cam, well, what are you drinking tonight? Oh man, Alex, I'm going out with a bang this season. Tonight, I am drinking a glass of Woodbridge Red Cab, sip of wine for the working man and for the Burgundy boys. Oh, you you fancy, huh? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, what about what about you? You know, like I said previously, I, I I think I did enough drinking in the month of October this year uh, to last me for the entire year. So I have a uh, Dasani purified water made by the Coca Cola Company right here in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, that old that old thick bottle. Yes, yes. Old old, old thick skin, you know. But before we get into it, uh, this year, Turkey Day at my bookie gives you plenty of reasons to be thankful starting with a $250 risk-free bet on Thursday afternoon when the Dallas Cowboys host the Las Vegas Raiders bet the spread between the Raiders and the Cowboys at my bookie and when you win you win and if you don't my bookie will refund you up to $250 simply put you can't lose this bet and that's what i call no risk all gravy before you get your wager in, set yourself up for success by doubling your first deposit when using the promo code SPORTSDRINK at MyBookie. That's promo code SPORTSDRINK to double your initial deposit all the way up to $1,000 so you won't need to break the wishbone to be the one that comes out ahead. Feast risk-free on Turkey Day with MyBookie and make sure to stick around for seconds as they gear up for what should be a fun Black Friday with tons of odds boosts that will have your belly and your pockets full. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. It is a, it is Thanksgiving week. It is. It and is, boy, and it's, it's we weird to be recording a show right now because I believe last year uh, we had wrapped up our season a couple of weeks ago at this point. Uh, yeah, we had. In fact, uh, the, this point last year, I think we were recording a Thanksgiving patron-only episode. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it feels neat to to have extended the baseball season as, as long as we have. Yeah, I mean it's 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 been a lot a lot of recording time for us, but uh, it, it's it's been a labor of love, that's for sure. And uh, I, I'd be happy 
to have the opportunity to do it again next year into late November. Oh, absolutely. We have we have plenty of thank yous to to go around, I think, on this episode. But before we get to that, before we talk about what we are thankful for, Alex, we have a plate full of guests on this episode. We absolutely do. Big is not a big enough word for this episode, but we're going to get right into it with a first-time guest who no listener of the Chatting Average podcast has ever heard here on this show before. Uh, So without further ado, let's jump right into our interviews. All right, ladies and gentlemen, our first guest today, you can hear him all over the Braves radio network on 680 The Fan and hosting the Behind the Braves podcast. He's from Philadelphia, but we're not going to hold that against him here tonight. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Kevin McAlpin. How are you doing today, Kevin? Guys, I am doing well. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, yeah, love love having you in here. First time on the show, and we really appreciate that. It's it's going to be hard to get into really anything without first jumping into this. Have you watched any sports here in the last couple of weeks? <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that. I'm sitting here watching the Lakers and the Celtics uh, because why not, right? It's something a little different <laughs> that I haven't. It's funny. I've got neighbors that are all, they're all college football guys, right? And they're all hardcore college football guys. And I'm like, I don't know anything about college or pro football this year. Cause I, I literally missed the first two months of it, you know, with the, with the world series run, I had no time to sort of take a step back and, and watch any football. So yeah, I've, 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 uh, I've caught myself uh, every now and then my son, Max and I will watch the, uh, the highlights from game six from a few weeks ago. Uh, but really uh, just, I'm trying to figure out like who's, who's any good in football this year uh, because based <laughs> on my, based on my uh, fantasy team and my, uh, my pick'em pools, uh, clearly, I have not seen enough football to to make accurate assessments on anybody here in 2021. <laughs> I've run into similar issues myself. I actually run a uh, I run a tennis shop here in town, and so people naturally come in all the time and and ask about you know things going on in in tennis currently. And for a long time there, I had to tell people, look, all I've watched is baseball for the last right. two months, and it was exa- like it's funny. I, I had people. Uh, I, I did the, the podcast with Matt Chernoff uh, uh, last week, and he's like, what's one thing you're going to take with you from this World Series run? And I was like, Matt, I have never in my life been so tired. Like, just I, I, I'm glad it didn't go to seven games because I had yep. nothing left, like getting in my house at three in the morning, waking up with my kid, getting him on the school bus a little before seven. Like I had not, and it, it, it's different than, you know, a, a series in July where maybe the team's on the West coast and you're tired from working late nights. This is like every pitch, like everything about it was stressful. Everything about it just took the life out of me. So it it took me a good like week and a half to really just kind of get caught up on sleep and kind of get my, my energy back. Cause man, I'm telling you, I had nothing left. I'm very thankful it ended in six. (laughs) I can couldn't agree more. Cam and I were talking briefly before you came on and we were kind of wondering out loud, what, what is, a home baseball game for the Braves like for you. We you're right across the street. So we'd assume yeah. you watch some of it, but there's no way you could stay till the ninth inning, right? Yeah, no, typically I'll, I'll, I'll get done the pregame show about 15 minutes before first pitch. And that gives me time to, to get across the street, grab a little bite to eat and basically sit down and they're throwing the first pitch of the game. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm usually there right around first pitch. I, I hustled over there a little bit quicker during the playoffs just to see the, you know, the, the pregame ceremonies or at least as much of it as I could. Uh, and then I'll typically stick around till about the seventh inning, bottom of the seventh, top of the eighth. I'll head back across the street. Now, that being said, for game five, 
I have never in my life seen so many people in one, one spot. <laughs> Scott for Scott's here. You ever want to grow new grass faster? Kind of like when you press the two times playback button on your podcast so you can speed through episodes. Except it's Scott's turf build a rapid grass. You're speeding your way from a thin and damaged lawn to a thicker, stronger one in just weeks. Bit too fast, maybe slow it down. Okay. Let's just go back to normal speed. Get a bag of Scott's Turf Builder Rapid Grass today. It grows grass two times faster than seed alone when applied at the new lawn rate subject to proper care. Feed your lawn. Feed it. Where our producers, were, like you said, we're across the street. We're in the battery. And they said, whenever you're planning on coming back, leave like 20 minutes earlier because it's going to take you forever. Oh, wow. So I left game five in the bottom of the fifth inning. I walked into our on-air studio in the bottom of the seventh. It took me two innings. <laughs> To get across Battery Avenue, there was that wow. many people. I had a pizza <laughs> in my hand. I was like, just, I'm like, oh, I'll just go back and eat in the studio. And like, I, I've just, you know, it's one of those like, the first five or ten minutes, you're you're apologizing, you're saying excuse me to everybody, and then by then, people were so mad, you're trying to cut through the line. It's like, all right, guys, I gotta go to work. Like, I, I'm I'm not here. To like, I gotta get excuse to me, work. Pardon me, excuse me. So, yeah, now now get the heck out of my way. You know, but yeah, no, yeah. it was. It, it, so typically on a, on a regular night, it's bottom of the seventh, top of the eighth is when I'll head back across. But, you know, there, there's, you know, those few instances where uh, that pop up rainstorm uh, comes out of nowhere and I got to get back. I've got five minutes to get back to the studio to host the rain delay show. And, you know, those ones that come out of nowhere where there's nothing on radar and all of a sudden they're pulling the tarp. I'm like, oh, my God. So. I got, I got some running in this summer as well, uh, probably a little more than I had hoped to get. But uh, fortunately, we've got guys in the studio that know how to uh, to tap dance for a little bit for me till I get back there. But, uh, yeah, that's that's a typical, typical day in the life uh, over in the press box. So uh, talk a little smack to Bowman for a little while. Hang out with uh, young Gabe uh, on the nights that he shows up and then, you know, get a chance to watch some ball. So it's it's uh, it, there's definitely worse ways to spend uh, six months in a summer. Well, that certainly answers our question because we were wondering too, is there a secret tunnel from Truist no. Park over to the radio station or <laughs> I wish, no, I wish we, we might need to get one of those put in because like I said, I, I, it was like, picture the worst frat party you've ever been to where you're just trying to get to the door. You're trying to get to the bar and no one will move for you. That's what, that's what game five was like. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. Matter of fact, our, our guys in the studio, we overlooked the battery and they watched me walk out when I was going across and like, not bad. It took you nine minutes to get through the crowd. Now that was before the game. Now, you know, like I said, in sixth inning, it was a much different story, but no, I, we, we might need to get something put in just to have a little more convenience to get back and forth. I, I'll have to talk to the bosses. Maybe that'll be in the budget for next season. And just maybe, take maybe a zip the, uh, line across. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. They've already yeah. got a zip line over there behind right field. Now, don't hey. give, don't give my guys in the studio any idea. Cause they'll start putting <laughs> one together. <laughs> All right, so so let's get into it. So talking about the 2021 Braves, a lot of parallels have been made uh, in terms of, of how unlikely this run was to the, the 2019 Nationals, who yeah. I, I don't know if you've heard, but they had the best record in baseball after May 24th that year. <laughs> yeah, um, I heard that rumor. 19 and uh, 31, if I'm not mistaken, starting the year. I, I heard that number a lot, too. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. So so obviously there's a bit of a parallel just just with that stat. But right. how, how would you compare the two teams and seasons? Well, look, I'll say this. Uh, you know, I think a lot of folks felt like the Braves season was over when they lost Mike Soroka. Then I think a lot of folks said, well, 
now that they've lost Ronald Acuna Jr., now they're really cooked. Or, you know, Marcelo Zuna had the, you know, obviously the injury and then the off the field situation. Well, now they're really, it was just every single time they hit one of those bumps in the road, they just found a way to overcome it. And I, I think that's the most remarkable part of this team is that, you know, it was, it was very improbable. It, it, it was it was a team that coming into the season, when you looked at it on paper, you said, yeah, this is a this is absolutely a World Series roster. And I think you could say the same about the, the 2019 Nationals as well. They were a team that came into the season expecting to compete. Now, they had also just lost Bryce Harper as well. So that was a little bit of a hurdle for them coming into that season. But, you know, I think that when you look at, at uh, you know, their slow start. That was just they just weren't playing good baseball. It wasn't, you know, injury related. It wasn't because they were missing anybody. They just weren't playing well. And, you know, they found a set another gear uh, from, you know, really June 1st on um, and they really started clicking and firing on all cylinders. I think for me, the big thing for the Braves was they had such a, a huge trade deadline where, you know, it wasn't just one or two guys. They added five pieces and all five of those guys contributed in some fashion for this team. And again, you can even throw a sixth in there with Richard Rodriguez. While it didn't work out for him long-term, he had a really good three weeks when he came over here. Now he probably ran out of gas towards the end of the season, but they're not winning games that they did in August without Richard Rodriguez. So again, these guys all had uh, a, you know, a, an impact into, into this team getting to where they did, whether it's Jack Peterson, the edge that he brought, uh, whether it's Eddie Rosario turning into, you know, Mickey Mantle for the LCS, whether it's Adam Duvall going out there and, and leading the National League in RBIs. And obviously, you know what his numbers are at, at Truist Park. They're terrific. Um, you know, then you have Jorge Soler. And, you know, the, the crazy thing when you think about it, Soler gets covid and that's the reason that Rosario gets to play as much as he does during the LCS because Soler is out. So it's just, it is, it's amazing how all five of those guys had a, a major impact um, for, for two teams. Again, let's be honest. They both had world series aspirations. The Braves, I think hopes took a lot of bumps along the road. So it's a big reason why they deserve to, to get so much credit. Uh, you weren't just waiting on Freddie Freeman to hit a three run homer. You weren't just waiting on Riley to come through with a big knock or Swanson, whatever it was. It was somebody different every single night. And I think that's kind of what separates those two clubs to, to expand a little bit on one of the guys you mentioned. So at the trade deadline, the, the, the move that I was absolutely the highest on was the move to get Richard Rodriguez, mm -hmm. um, which in turn shows how much I know, but you know, he did contribute there for a little while and then fell off and everybody started hitting home runs off of him in September. But Richard Rodriguez is going to be a brave for a little while. So what yeah. do you think moving forward we can realistically expect from him? Like, was this, like you said, a matter of just running out of gas at the end of the season or or maybe an indicator of something larger? Well, I know I think he I, I really do. I think he was out of gas down the stretch. Um, you know, and, and look, he's under team control for a few more years. And you look at his numbers and what he did in Pittsburgh, they certainly speak for themselves. I mean, this is a guy that you can count on in, in you know, seventh, eighth inning situations. So, you know, for me, I think it's just a matter of you go from, a, a you know, a, a team that's out of contention to one that's fighting not only to try to get to a World Series, but just trying to find a way to win a division. And there's a lot of different pressure. There's a lot of different, uh, you know, adrenaline rush that goes into those games. So it, it probably was 
a little mentally taxing for him as well, going for a team that was way out of it to one that was a contender. So um, I think that, you know, look, he, his, his numbers were really good uh, in Pittsburgh. I, I trust the back of the baseball card. And I think that, you know, there's probably some things they'll look at on film this off season. Maybe, maybe he got away from things, but who knows, maybe he was tipping some pitches. Maybe it was sequencing, whatever it was. Uh, but I do think they'll find a way to get him back on track. And I, I think he really could have a, a big part in, in the Braves bullpen in 2022 and beyond. I certainly hope you're right. And, and you know, knowing that the magic that the Braves coaching staff can work mm-hmm. with a lot of these guys, I, I'm I'm very hopeful that he can continue to develop some of the secondary pitches and add on to the the fastball that he's already got great command of. Yeah. And look, he's got good stuff, right? I and mean, you're right. The, the home run balls were concerning. That's a big reason why he wasn't on any of the, of the, the postseason rosters. You just could not afford uh, to have a guy that's given up home runs at that kind of a clip on a postseason roster. But uh, again, look, you gave up Bryce Wilson for him. I mean, you, what, you didn't give up a ton for him. So uh, ultimately, you know, it's it's another one of those moves that Alex Antopoulos uh, pulls off, finds a, a piece that he doesn't have to part with top prospects for. And uh, again, it's it's a move that I still I still think can help the Braves moving forward, you know, going into next season. Well, Kevin, speaking of moving players around, I want to jump back to we, we just celebrated an anniversary a couple of days ago. I want to jump back to November 17th, 2014 where the Atlanta Braves trade Jason Hayward. Mm-hmm. Kind of the the kickoff point to, maybe we didn't know at the time, but what was the kickoff point to a rebuild for this team, which you know, kind of accumulated to a World Series win this year. I know you weren't with the team, you hadn't been with the team very long up until that point, but from your vantage point, what was that scenario like for you when the Braves trade away who at, at one time was considered to be the future of the team. Well, I was way off. And it's funny you mentioned that because I, I saw on my Facebook memories, it popped up that I did a segment on Fox five uh, on that, that evening, they had me in studio talking about it. And I think the line that I said was, this just seems like a minor tweak to the roster. It doesn't feel like they're going into a full break it down rebuild mode. Well, I was way off. <laughs> okay. I was like way. And look, I, I like to toot my own horn when I get something right, and that doesn't happen all that often. But uh, when I, I, I'll admit when I get it wrong. And I'll say this, you know, that was obviously that that was the first big move, right? And then you had uh, the Kimbrel and the Upton deal that happened uh, the night before the opener. And it's funny because we were we were in Miami, and I was sitting at the tiki bar at our team hotel, and I saw Freddie Gonzalez get the phone call that, hey, we just traded Craig Kimbrell. And it was like he had seen a ghost. I mean, like the the look on his face. And we didn't know until later on. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I saw him walk away from his dinner to go take that phone call. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 crazy to think that, uh, you know, they went through really, you know, I guess almost three full seasons worth of the rebuild. Uh, but look at what it's what it's led to. Right. I mean, it's it's led to a World Series title. And, you know, you still have to give credit to the, the previous regimes for the moves they made. Uh, at the time, they weren't popular. Right. There was a lot of guys that were fan favorites like Jason Hayward, like Craig Kimbrell and others um, that they moved and, and and moved on from. Um, and those were, those are not easy decisions. Believe me, I, I know uh, the folks who were pulling the trigger on those deals. And there was a lot of sleepless nights, uh, knowing that these were going to be really, really rough times for the organization. So, um, it is, you, you think about where they were, you know, 14, you know, 15 and 16 were, may obviously speak for themselves. 17, you sort of started seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. You started seeing things, 
you know, starting to get closer. And then obviously 18 being that surprise team uh, that wins the division and then, you know, 19 and then they weren't a surprise anymore from there. But yeah, it is. It's crazy to think back to that, uh, that, 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 gosh, it was 2014. That was seven years ago already that that move happened. Uh, it, it still feels like yesterday. And like I said, I, I can still remember saying, nah, this isn't a full rebuild. This is just a, this is just a minor little uh, trade they're making in the offseason. <laughs> <laughs> thinking more so you know about the, about the rebuild years and some of the random you know some of the more random names we saw come through the organization who was somebody that you know might have had a cup of coffee in Atlanta but really sticks out to you as a guy is there is there that one guy oh, that yeah. you'll never forget interacting with oh yeah there there's a bunch uh, i think Juan Uribe is one of my favorites uh nice. that okay. guy that guy was an absolute trip. Like he would walk out of the clubhouse every night, sunglasses on dressed to the nines with an unlit cigar in his mouth every <laughs> single night. And he called everybody poppy. And I remember the first time he called me poppy. I was like, yes, I finally got a poppy out of him. Made uh, it. Just funny, like just goofy, um, you know, just kept the room really loose. Um, they, they like to have a lot of fun. A- AJ Persinski is another one that, you know, I was a little hesitant when he came over here thinking like, oh man, this guy, but, uh, he, he was an absolute riot to be around between him and Uribe. Those two guys would go at it in the clubhouse, just like busting each other's chops every single day. Uh, so that was, that was certainly, uh, you wanted to get to the clubhouse when it opened to the media. Cause you were never really sure exactly what was going to be happening down there. And then, uh, Josh Donaldson's another guy that I know it's not during the rebuild year, but that's another one of my guys, man. Like I, I love the fact that he was around here. I love the edge that he brought. I love the the attitude and the swagger that he brought. And I love that the trash talking he brought as well. So again, I know he's not a rebuilding years guy, but uh, uh, JD is another one of those. Uh, I mean, you, you just, you have to have those kinds of personalities when you spend as much time as you do in a clubhouse with these guys, you've got to get along. You've got to have fun. You've got to be, you know, a group. I know it probably sounds cliche for the fans, but those guys that are good clubhouse guys, it, it really, it goes a long, long way because if you got a room full of a bunch of turds, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it makes going to the ballpark every day a lot harder. And especially when you're not winning games, it makes it even that much tougher. So um, that's the one thing they've, they've always had going for them here is that, you know, if you're not a good dude off the field, it doesn't matter how good of a player you are on the field. If you're not going to be a fit, you know, in that clubhouse, you're just, you're not going to stick around very long, but man, but now that I'm, I'm you're kind of got me jogging my memory, thinking about others, man, it's uh there's Reed Johnson's another guy that, uh, you know, again, I Reed Johnson. Oh, yeah, he wow. was 2013. I know he was not necessarily a rebuilding year guy either, but, uh, just, you know, there's, there's, there's just so many personalities you meet in this game. And, uh, those guys, it's, uh, so, you know, those guys are all guys that you'll, that I find myself rooting for, you know, long after they've worn a brave uniform, just because they've been good to me or they've been funny to be around whoever it might be. So there's a couple of Reed Johnson stories. I, I don't know if I don't know what your listening audience is, but I probably can't repeat those, uh, at least at least to a, a mixed audience right now. We, we came from mostly to Braves Twitter, and I'm sure yeah. you know what you've seen with them that, uh, oh, yeah. that they, they can handle pretty much anything. Yeah, well, but, the statute of limitations, I don't think, is worn off on some of those. So we'll that's fair. we'll we'll maybe we'll write a book someday and we'll get them all out there for there you. We oh, that'll be fantastic. <laughs> there we go. I, I, I was curious since you brought him up. Um, you know, Josh Donaldson, we all we all loved seeing him play for the Braves, but he never really seemed like the most comfortable guy in front of the camera. So yeah. didn't really get a huge feeling of of, you know, who that guy is. What was he like interacting with the other guys in the clubhouse? 
He was great. He was. It, it was funny. We we actually joked about it for a little while. When he first, I don't know, maybe the first month he was here, um, he would carry a Bluetooth speaker everywhere he went. And we joked it was kind of like the ice cream man, like coming through your neighborhood. You knew exactly where Josh was when you heard the music, you know, coming down the hallway or coming out of the shower or coming out of the wherever it was, coming out of the training room. Um, yeah, he was and, and he, he had very eclectic, um, you know, interests like one, one, you know, Sunday mornings. It was, you know, it was it was old school, you know, Motown and R&B. And then it was, you know, newer age stuff. And he really ran the gamut of just about everything. So, uh, yeah, he was. He was great. Um, I, I like Josh a lot. Um, you know, he's uh, he was a he, he was a, a bit of a, you know, a character. But uh, again, he he was the right kind of character. And like he had that edge and he had that person persona where, you know, I'm sure there's 29 fan bases that hate that guy. But when he's on your side, you love him. Right. And when, yeah. you, when he's in your clubhouse, you love him. Uh, I mean, you think back to what happened when he was hit by that pitch uh, against Pittsburgh a few years ago. Team really kind of took off from there after he uh, had some choice words. So, you know, again, just little things like that sometimes can get a team going when maybe you least expect it. So uh, shifting back to this season, uh, what what was the moment this year for you in the regular season, at least, that you found to be? the most pivotal in shifting from that team that that nobody expected to make the postseason, let alone win a World Series to, oh, my God, these guys might actually be contenders. Probably Max Fried's walk off. Uh, that, that was probably one of those moments where I'm like, this is so ridiculous. Uh, first off, Guillermo Heredia about near took his head off running out with those swords before he <laughs> got to first base. Uh, but no, I there was just, you know, the. First couple of months of the season, you didn't feel like it was the same team that it had all those late inning come from behind wins up their sleeve over the years. You know, like in, in the last few seasons, they'd be down three or four runs in the seventh inning and, and Snit would joke. He'd be like, well, we got them right where we want them. I mean, like they're, they're a team that, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth inning, they were they were never out of it. They always gave you, you know, a, a really hard 27 outs. Um, and you started kind of feeling that maybe second week of August where the tides were turning a little bit, where, you know, a two run deficit in the eighth inning wasn't insurmountable anymore. You know, where early on in the season, it really felt like you're down one or two late. You weren't going to come back in those games. So um, I just I feel like there was, you know, some of those walk offs. There was the Max Freed moment. There was, uh, you know, just games where they put together really good, solid at bats in the seventh and eighth inning where, you know, it started to feel like things were starting to turn their way again. And, you know, again, it, it's a big, big reason why is they had a different lineup. Uh, they had different personnel in there. I mean, it, it's not a knock on guys like Abraham Almonte or Guillermo Heredia or anybody like that. But, you know, there was a lot of nights, guys, early on this season where, if you didn't, you know, if, if you had runners on after the, the sixth spot in your order, it was kind of like, well, you know, you better, better get those runs in early or, or they're not going to score. And you didn't, ha you didn't have that feeling down the stretch. I mean, you had Dansby Swanson hitting eighth for you and he had 27 homers this year. I mean, again, your, your lineup was so much deeper. It was so much more talented and they had that clutch gene again in them. So um, that's kind of, for me, you know, once they were able to get over 500, which felt like that may never happen, which is just be beyond bizarre the way it happened this year. Um, I feel like once they got over the 500 mark, it sort of felt like things were rolling downhill from there where things started going their way. Ball started bouncing their way. Breaks started happening. You know, outfielders are misplaying balls and they're winning games like that. So, um, again, I think that it's just once they got to that 500 mark and never looked back, that to me kind of told me that that was a team that was really going to be dangerous down the stretch. I didn't think they'd be 
as dangerous as they were. I didn't think they'd be a World Series, you know, caliber club. But uh, again, once again, they proved me wrong, and I'm I'm really happy they did. <laughs> I think the the best part about it, at least in the in the last couple of months, was, you know, like you mentioned, outfields outfielders start misplaying balls, infielders start start booting some easy grounders. We started winning games in a lot of ways that we had been losing games, not only this season, but in prior postseasons as well. Yeah. And it was just, it was, it took a while, I think, for a lot of our brains to adjust that, oh, we're seeing this happen for our team this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was great. I mean, look, it was, you know, it was, uh, it was bound to happen, right? I mean, all the breaks couldn't go against them for six straight months, but uh, you're right. I mean, it's, it's just little moments. And again, those little moments are, are so much more magnified once you get into October, once you're, uh, you know, in a postseason series, when everything's magnified, base running, you know, little, you know, boot, a double play ball, whatever it might be, those things could come back to hurt you. And again, while the Braves weren't the cleanest team in October, uh, they found ways to overcome that with clutch moments, whether it's a, a big knock with two outs or whether it's, uh, you know, a big couple of strikeouts from one of the guys in the bullpen. Um, just little things like that, little breaks that were going against them for so long started going their way. And again, it's, it, it wasn't luck by any stretch of the imagination. They were they were a really darn good ball club down the stretch. So, uh, again, I think that you got to give the front office a ton of credit and the fans as well. And I've said this on the air uh, a bunch of times here in Atlanta. 2.3 million fans went through the gates at Truist Park this year. The Braves would not have been able to make those deadline moves without the fans' support all season long. So while it wasn't pretty, the fans stuck with them. They kept showing up, and uh, they deserve a lot of credit for for this World Series victory as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it was especially on TV from from my vantage point sitting here in North Carolina, you know, watching from home. I, I tell you, I, I don't know if I've ever seen the atmosphere in Atlanta like it was for those postseason games. And it yeah. certainly to me, it, it appeared to home field advantage was a much was very much a real thing when the when the games came back to Atlanta. Yeah, it was. It, it was great. I mean, look, it, for as much as, you know, Dodger Stadium is a home field advantage and it is it's fifty five thousand. That place is loud. It The building shakes when a big moment happens. For the, I mean, like I've been in that press box where uh, my drink, it almost I, I equate it to like, you know, in Jurassic Park when uh, the dinosaurs coming in, the water starts shaking like that's what my drink looked like in front of me when, uh, you know, a big moment happens. The whole building is shaking. Like it feels like the press box is just going to fall off the side of the place. But, uh, you know, again, it, it's uh, it was it was a home field advantage. There's no doubt about it. And while the Braves did play really good baseball on the road, especially in the second half, uh, you know, having that home field advantage, uh, especially against L.A., came back to be huge. Um, you know, you you uh, you stole home field away from from Houston briefly. Uh, and, but again, you found ways to win on the road. That's important as well. Uh, so, yeah, I, while they didn't play great baseball during the regular season at home, they certainly did in the postseason. And again, it's a big reason why they they hoisted that trophy when all was said and done. Kevin, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and finish up with one last question here. So obviously, I think it's hard to beat this year's team as what might be your favorite team that you've covered with the Braves. But in your in your time in Atlanta, what's another team? What's another year that just sticks out to you that that was just a lot of fun for you to cover? 
Well, I go back to my first one. Uh, 2012, you know, Chippers last year. Uh, I don't know if one thing has to do with another, but, you know, I, I introduced myself to Chipper at spring training. You know, I was the new guy. and Who's this, you know, guy from Philly walking around the clubhouse? And then three days later, he has the press conference that he's retiring. So I'm hoping that it didn't have to do, like, one thing didn't have to do with the other, where he's like, I'm not dealing with this guy beyond this year. But, no, that was a fun team. Um, that was a really fun team. Um, you know, again, you had a, you, you had a Freddie Freeman who was just a baby at the time, right? I mean, he was just starting his big league career. Um, you had guys like, uh, you know, Eric Hinsky on that team, David Ross, um, you know, the, the pitching staff, Tim Hudson, Chris Medlin. I mean, those guys were, were awesome to be around. Uh, it was a, it was a, a lot of personalities on that team. Um, so for me, I go back to 2012, Brian McCann, you know, there, there was just, uh, Peter Moylan. There were so many guys on that club that, um, I, it was my first team covering here. Uh, it's one that I'll never forget. Uh, it's a, it's a team that I really enjoyed being around. Uh, we saw Andrelton, you know, make his debut, uh, not too far into the season after, uh, things didn't work out with Tyler. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, it, there's, you know, it's a team that went to the playoffs and we all know how it ended. And I think we all can agree. It's one of the, still one of the worst calls of all time, but, uh, you know, again, it, it, we've moved on. We've, we've gone on to greener pastures from there, but, um, I do think, you know, just being around chipper for his farewell tour, um, you know, being down on the field, seeing all the gifts that he was given, uh, before all those games was awesome. Uh, it was really, really cool. Um, you know, again, and to see the, the fans, uh, in New York of all places in New York at city field standing and cheering for Chipper Jones. I mean, who would have ever thought we'd see the day for that? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think being around for his farewell tour was, was pretty special. And, uh, again, I've, I've told him about that over the years that that's uh, that's a season that I will certainly never forget. All right. Well, Kevin, thank you very much for coming on the show. And uh, I anxiously look forward to the day when I can tell people that that we had Braves legend Max McAlpin's <laughs> dad on our show. <laughs> there we go. I love it. Uh, uh, draft class, what do we say? 2034, 2035, somewhere around Sounds there. about right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've, right, right around the corner. I've already started showing his uh, his little league videos to some of the guys in the front office, so I'm you know, keep an eye on this kid. Uh, we'll we'll see what we'll see what ends up happening. But yeah, that that'll be a great day. You know what? We'll 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 the two of us will come on and we'll do it together. How's that sound? Sounds perfect. Can't <laughs> wait. Perfect. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you know our next guest from well this show last year, but you also know him from Talking Chop and Battery Power that he hosts along with Corey McCartney. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Grant McCauley. How you doing today, Grant? Doing well, guys. Appreciate you having me on. It's been a hot minute, but I would imagine the last, what, I know, 13 or so months since we sat in on one of these things, certain events have transpired in Braves country that has most people, even the most miserable of people, more happy than not, more days than not these days. <laughs> the, the, yeah, just a couple of small things have happened, you know. The, the, not the all mood amongst Braves fans seems seems somewhat elevated at the moment. I can't quite put my finger on it, but... Um, Let's just jump right into this. For you personally, what 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 does this World Series mean to you? Not necessarily as, you know, a Braves personality, but as as Grant the fan. Gosh, I mean, it, it means a lot of things, because when you think about how long, you know, fans have waited, how long the team, everybody that's played for the Braves in the last 26 years has waited to do this. I mean, there's a lot of anticipation. There's a lot of heartbreak. There's a lot of disappointment. There was a lot of almost, but not quite. I mean, it's an incredible experience, I think, every year when you embark on a new baseball season to see where it can go. But when it finally leads to the one place that fans, players, executives, whoever is affiliated with that team wants it to go, I think that 
the emotions at this particular time, I think there's one of just pure jubilation, exuberance, just, you know, wanting to jump up and down and, and maybe not stop for a week and a half. And then I think there's one of relief that was kind of built into that because there had been so many times where the Braves had gotten there to the World Series or gotten to the cusp of it or gotten to the playoffs and just not been able to crack the code, just not been able to advance, not been able to overcome this team or that team or the other team for whatever reason. And so to see the events play out the way they did in 2021, where there were just moments where you looked at it and you could just tell yourself, this feels different. This looks different. This has gone differently than it has before. So I, I think that really for me as, as a fan, I mean, I grew up watching this team from the middle of the 1980s. So that team was nowhere near a World Series. To go into the 1990s, have a chance to go to five of them, even if you only win the one, that was a totally different thing. But then to wait 25 years to finally get there and win it again, there's just something special about that and something special about this team. And I think it showed all of us, even the smartest of us who follow along and try to make the right moves and second guess the manager or, or the GM or both. And sometimes that's deservedly so. Hey, this is a team that for whatever reason seemed to be one of destiny and it got the job done. And I don't think any of us could have expected it when all those trades went down on July the 30th. Grant, you mentioned the, the roller coaster that the team kind of went through from the mid 80s into the 90s. How does this year's win for you as a fan compare to the win in 95 or the success in 91? You know, a, a few similarities there, but how, how does that compare to for you? There were a lot of echoes of 1991 that went inside of this team when it came to guys breaking out, when it came to kind of some unsung heroes, when it came to acquisitions that maybe you didn't know what to expect from and or what to expect from them. And then all of a sudden they're able to turn in an NLCS MVP, a World Series MVP to come up with big hits, to wear a pearl necklace, whatever the case was. All these personalities, all these talents that came together felt a lot like 1991, I would say. 95 was a team that it, it was kind of battle tested. They'd been there a couple of times. They were trying to get the job done. They were coming off the disappointment of a strike. And so that was a little bit of the story back then. Maybe a little bit of the shine was taken off of it going into 95. Take nothing away from winning it at the end. But it, it, feel, it felt pretty nice this year to just see a club come together the way the 91 team did. I don't know if anything will ever touch that season. I was 10, 11 years old when it happened. A lot of folks that follow the Braves are younger than I am now, but have been fans their whole life. They grew up in the 1990s. And that was a totally different way to experience Braves baseball in the 1980s, let me assure you. So I think 91 will always have a certain special aura about it, even though the wrong team won the World Series. But I would put this one right up there with just the great seasons that the Braves have given us the past three decades. It's hard not to put the ones where you win the World Series at or near the top, but 91 always stays in that discussion. So whether it's 2021, 1995, 1991, I don't think you can go wrong. Those are three of the greatest years that the Braves have had in the city of Atlanta. Love it. Well, shifting our focus towards the future, what what's your re immediate reaction to, to the Braves signing Manny Pena? I think they needed to go out and have something that was more of a solid plan B that was more proven than what they ended up with last year. Because Travis Darno, while he did not hit a lot when he came back, I think he was still struggling with the strength and, and the grip in that hand when it came to hitting and when it came to taking that kind of time off in the middle of the season than it being expected to even approach what he did last year. I can understand how the hitting didn't come back. But what he meant behind the plate from a stability standpoint, from a continuity standpoint, I don't think you can overstate how important that was to the Braves. I think that's one of the big reasons why a lot of things started to gel after 
Travis Darno came back, including the Atlanta Braves bullpen, which is over the last few years gotten more than enough scrutiny to go around. And some nights it was completely deserved. Other nights you just had to point the finger at somebody and it was the bullpen. But I think with Darno going down, it showed a very clear weakness for the Braves. William Contreras wasn't quite ready yet. I'm still high on this kid as a guy that, you know, could be a, a piece for the Braves moving forward. Maybe we've just moved the timeline back to 2023 or 2024 or whatever it may be. And then you've got Shane Langoliers waiting in the wings as well. So depth is never a bad thing to have. And there are a few positions that I think you really want to be set up for it. One is obviously the pitching staff, but one that doesn't get talked about quite enough, uh, quite enough, I think, or quite as much is what happens behind the plate because we saw the Braves try basically everything they could. They threw the kitchen sink at trying to figure out who was going to be catching. And really the answer was, Travis Darno's finally back, and now we can try to move forward here with, again, that continuity that, that, the continuity that they needed. So adding another guy that calls a good game, he can throw out base runners. I think he's got a little bit of power. This is a good platoon, I think, and this is something that the Braves can utilize if and when they have to deal with injury at a position in which they really didn't have a good backup plan. Yeah, and I mean, uh, if, if next year goes like this year, we only need to worry about, uh, what, three or four more catchers. So, <laughs> right. Um, in your best, in your best estimation, um, is this specifically a depth move or does this maybe signal the packaging of a, a, of a Contreras or, or a uh, Langoliers, uh, to add another piece? It opens you up to that option. And I think you always want to have that as well. I mean, there could be a club that if you look around major league baseball, you can name all the good catchers that you would say are the dependable star catchers on one hand. And one of them just retired. So when you look at that and another one, the one in St. Louis is not getting any younger each and every year. Then you look at what Salvador Perez, a handful of other guys, maybe that you throw in there to say, or maybe the up and coming catchers, but it, it always seems to be a shortage. There always seems to be five, six, seven clubs out there trying to find the answer at that position. So if you're a club that has young, talented prospects that you can afford to deal some of that depth and maybe fill another hole that you have, then I think that Alex Anthopoulos, once again, has put himself in a good position to make a deal. And as we've learned, he's not afraid to do that. So, Grant, speaking of making a deal, I guess we'll go ahead and dive dive into the, the biggest topic of the offseason for the Braves. Where where do you currently stand on how things might be working with the Freddie Freeman situation? Well, I got a lot of thoughts about this, and I've written about it over at Talking Shop. It was the first thing I wrote into the offseason was, you know, what would a Freddie Freeman deal look like? What could it look like? I think it's a deal that's going to get done because both these parties, I think, are better together than they would be with either the Braves trying to move on to a different direction at first base or Freddie Freeman going and starting anew somewhere else. Now, the big difference is that Freddie Freeman could get some amazing offer that is just too much to pass up. That happens in free agency. We've seen that happen before. But this just doesn't feel like that. This doesn't feel the same as it did when the Cardinals decided to let Albert Pujols walk. This doesn't feel the same as when the Tigers absolutely 110% had to resign Miguel Cabrera because they'd be crazy to let him go. He's a little bit younger as Freddie. Um, than I think the average first baseman that gets out there on the free agent market. I think the similarity with Paul Goldschmidt had everybody looking at that contract thinking, oh, well, this will work. They're basically the same player. I think Freddie is ahead of Paul Goldschmidt at this point, in, in my opinion. I mean, he's already a little bit younger. But the similarities of, of the age in which they're signing that contract are pretty obvious. And these are two guys that you can build around. They make your club better. They help in a variety of ways, not just in what they do in the lineup, 
but what they do in the field and, of course, what they do in the clubhouse. So you take all of those things and think about the Braves not having that. I don't think that they want to go down that road. There's not a lot of great plan Bs out there, as again, to use that term, as far as free agent first basemen are concerned. And I don't think that Freddie is going to command the kind of money that either Pujols or Miguel Cabrera did, because quite frankly, he's not the same kind of player at his peak. Those are guys that were putting up eight, nine war seasons and higher. In the case of Pujols, he's one of the greatest players we'll ever see in our life. That's a long time ago, but that's who he was at the time as he was heading out to free agency, or at least, at least he wasn't very far removed from that. And neither was Cabrera when he signed his extension. But I don't think Freddie's going to command that kind of money. But I do think a couple of years ago when the Brewers signed Christian Yelich to a seven-year extension, that got me thinking, this is what a Freddie Freeman extension looks like to me. You know, seven years, $190 million. Maybe you start building in some options for year eight or year nine if you want to start talking about keeping Freddie in a Braves uniform beyond that. And then that pushes the overall deal up over $200 million. I believe he wants the $200 million because if I was him, I would. And I'd also want my representation talking to everybody that has the ability to give me $200 million and then start figuring out the years. But I think the number one thing is the years. And then, of course, 1B is going to be the money. And I think, again, the Braves with uh, soaring revenues and great attendance last year and the ability to spend would be foolish to let a guy like Freddie Freeman go. But you don't want to outspend and over leverage yourself. So this, of course, is the business. And that's the part that nobody seems to enjoy quite as much. And I would seriously doubt that Freddie Freeman's enjoying it as much. I think he would have liked to have had this deal wrapped up as well. So you just got to get these two sides to the table. I think they're going to get this thing done. And hopefully we can push that rain cloud of the CBA off to the side and worry about that some other time. In in your opinion, do you do you feel like this happens before December 1st, or do you think it's coming after that date later into the winter? Well, given the noted, I would say, desire for Alex Anthopoulos to get deals done on or around Black Friday, I don't think we could rule that out whatsoever. I think that there's a little bit of security involved with maybe getting that deal done so that if you're Freddie Freeman and there is a lockout situation, you're not sitting around kind of locked out literally of negotiating your next contract, but he's not going to undercut himself. The Braves aren't going to lowball him either. They're going to give him legitimate offers that they feel like are worth bringing to the table. I mean, there's a ton of respect on both sides. So I think this deal could get done. Uh, it could happen as soon as we hang up this call, to be honest, I really think that it could. And again, I think that it will happen. The timing is what we all want to see, but, I think there's too much for these two sides uh, between these two sides to lose, not getting a deal done than expecting to see Freddie Freeman in some other different uniform. Who would you potentially see as the biggest threats to the Braves re-signing Freddie Freeman? Uh, I, I've, everyone speculated uh, with the Los Angeles Angels since he's from the area. The Yankees, of course, spend money like it's going out of style, as do the Dodgers. Yeah, all those teams make sense. And clearly with Freddie being a California guy, that's something that's been thrown around quite a lot. I don't expect to see the Yankees really going after Freddie Freeman unless they're unable to get a deal done for Corey Seager. I feel like that's their guy. They need a shortstop. Seager's 27 years old, so four or five years younger than Freddie. He's going into his age 32 season. That makes too much sense for me if I'm the Yankees. Trevor Story is also lurking out there. I never hear his name, at least not very often. I mean, maybe I'm not reading the right places, but. Now, I haven't heard much about him, um, but those California teams, is particularly the ones in L.A., would make some sense. But I don't know that the Dodgers are in a place where they want to give Freddie Freeman the kind of money that he's looking for that would be above and beyond what the Braves could offer him. And if you look at what the Angels have done, 
They've broken off Mike Trout, as they should, to the tune of about $400 million. They signed Anthony Rendon not long ago to a huge mega contract. And they now have the American League's most valuable player that they're going to have to re-sign to a longer-term contract sooner than later in Shohei Otani. If I'm the Angels, I'm focusing on putting the big money into Otani, and they need pitchers. Freddie Freeman cannot pitch. They got to get some other guys out there. They just spent on Syndergaard. We saw that. But I think they need some more sure things as well. And so I feel like other clubs, even though they would make sense on paper as we kind of play the hot stove match game, I don't know that it necessarily makes as much sense in reality when you kind of start to think about the size of the contract Freddie Freeman wants and what these other clubs are trying to accomplish. At least that's the way I'm reading the tea leaves right now. Okay, well, so let's let's make the bold assumption that that first base is not going to be an area of need for the Atlanta Braves in 2022. What okay. do you see as their biggest areas of need? And and what are maybe some names that that people should have on their radar? Well, we did this on Battery Power a couple of weeks ago, uh, Corey and I did, trying to just go down the list of free agent pitchers. I still think they need to go out and get one more starter. Uh, just somebody that kind of slots in more of that three to four range. There's no shortage of those guys out there. I'm not talking about the Max Scherzers or the Noah Syndergaards or the Justin Verlanders that are out there. Two of those guys are off the board, um, and I didn't really expect the Braves to be big players in either of those, to be honest with you. Um, I think they need another starter. I think that they did a great job, Alex Anthopoulos did, and going ahead and getting Charlie Morton locked in. And then you've got Max Fried and you've got Ian Anderson, and that's a good top three to have. You've got a whole bunch of younger guys behind that that I think make a ton of sense to figure out the number five spot. So you don't need to go out and maybe sign two starters like you did last year. But I still think that they need the pitcher to come in and do more of what they thought Drew Smiley might do, which is be a veteran upside play that could really just complement the rest of your rotation. And then, of course, you hope you get Mike Soroka back at some point. But at this point, I do think we have to be more hoping than planning on it. And there's nobody I want it for worse then I want to see Mike Soroka back out there. He's just, he's the best. And I hate seeing what's happened to him the last couple of years, but at this point we're talking about logistically a pitcher that's not thrown in a major league game since August of 2020, and we're heading into the 2022 season. So you got to be realistic there. I just think veteran starter would really be the next logical place for me. I felt like they did need a backup catcher, a righty reliever in the bullpen, somebody that could kind of pair up with Luke Jackson and then go with the lefties that the Braves have already under contract. It's a nice bullpen, but you clearly need depth there. One or two injuries or one guy regressing can really change your whole plan of the bullpen. We saw that in the first half. So those are the needs I would say that the Braves are probably looking at the hardest. But I don't think that any of those needs, as we've seen, have to take a back seat because you haven't signed Freddie Freeman yet. Alex Antopoulos can multitask with the best of them. I think he's going to be concentrating on all those things. So, Grant, with with revenues through the roof this year for the Atlanta Braves, you know, thanks to the battery and, and attendance, do you, do you foresee um, payroll going up for the next season? And if so, where do you think that number is going to land? I think it could have absolutely should go up. And Alex Antopoulos did indicate in his end of season press availability that, Hey, we do expect this to go up. It's the same kind of call that he would say, Hey, we like Freddie Freeman. We want to get a deal done with Freddie Freeman. And, that's going to be our focus going into this offseason. I think that both of those things are true, as we've talked about. What range could it be? I don't know. At the end of the year, it was $145 million is what the Braves spent on payroll for the 2021 season. That's the most the club's ever spent. And we were looking at heading into 2020, after the Braves had won the division again in 2019, that they were 
looking at their biggest payroll. They were starting to creep into that top 10 for the first time in a long time. And that's the place I think the Braves should be. There's no two ways about that. The battery and the new ballpark and all the things that we saw go exactly to plan of what the Braves had envisioned when they made this whole thing happen and moved the club. Those are That's what went right in 2021. You won the World Series. You're printing money. And I think that that money needs to be reinvested into your field staff and, and your on-field product if you want to continue to keep that machine and the printing going at perhaps a fever pitch and a, and a great pace because you've got a club that's built, I think, to be in this window of contention for at least the next four or five years, conceivably beyond that, depending on the Ronald Acuna Jr.'s, Ozzy Albies, and guys that are going to be getting into the air quotes prime of their career that they're not even in yet because they're still, you know, just kind of those young guns, those great young stars of baseball. It's scary to think Ronald Acuna Jr. could get better, but I think that he can. And I think that he will. So there's a lot of excitement around this Braves club and payroll should not be something that we're constantly wringing our hands over anymore. I understood through the rebuild and trying to make the right things and trying not to spend in the wrong place and all that. I get it, but I don't think that should be a limitation on this club. And I don't think that ownership's interested in tying Alex Antopoulos's hands. Doesn't mean they'll become the Dodgers. Doesn't mean they're going to get the free spending ways of even a Steve Cohen or an Artie Moreno or some of those other dynamic single ownership groups that you've got that are fronted by a billionaire we may not have that but i still think that there's room for this to grow and it should well i i speak for myself and many many other braves fans when i say well, we did our part with the uh with the world series merch helping get some money to the team uh so hopefully they spend that I, I spent just a just a tiny bit of money on <laughs> hey not nice on that shirt there grant yeah look at there there we go <laughs> Love it. Well, so so shifting even further to the future, looking at, you know, we saw a lot of guys make debuts the last couple of years for the Braves, and and that doesn't project to to end anytime soon. What are some of the more surprising names that you think we could see make a debut for the Braves in 2022? Well, I mean, one of the guys that I had, you know, written in, you know, permanent marker with Spencer Strider, but they jumped the gun on that the last week of the season. I think that's pretty exciting. I don't think you could rule out seeing Shea Langoliers at some point next year. He got to AAA this year. I mean, it was seemed to be pretty obvious that, you know, if you're on the taxi squad for the playoffs and all throughout and you're traveling with the club when they win the World Series, that you're knocking on that door somewhere. So that was probably a pretty good week in his life thus far. That's a guy I would expect to see. Uh, any of these guys that make it to AAA, you know, Bryce Elder had a great season for the Stripers. I thought he was pretty outstanding. And then beyond that, I think as you kind of look down into, you know, to get excited about the Michael Harris, that I would love to see that happen. I, I would say if he really pushes the issue, maybe that's a thing that you could see. I'd like to see Drew Waters be able to put it together. I think losing the 2020 season from a go out there and play every day against actual competition. Um that kind of set him back. I think it set a lot of position players back more than it did the pitchers. Those are names on my short list that I would, I would say are pretty possible to see next year. But I also look back and think of some of the guys that came up this year and think they have so much further that they can go, whether that's Kyle Muller or Tucker Davidson or Christian Pache, who he debuted in 2020, didn't play a whole lot. In fact, played more than the playoffs than he did in the regular season, but he still doesn't have a hundred plate appearances in the big leagues. You got to find out what you got there. And I think he's going to be one of the key pieces of deciding who comes back in that outfield. In addition to the return of Ronald Acuna Jr. Is you need to have a natural center fielder who's on your roster on a regular basis. I love what Adam Duvall did, but you can't ask him to do that 162 times 
And there is no way I'm asking Ronald Acuna Jr. to go out in the center field coming off an ACL injury. You got to be careful with that. So, so we got three people nodding their heads. No, I think we're all in agreement. <laughs> <laughs> Ronald is such a great, such a dynamic defender in right field. And that's something that excites me to have him locked in there. But I also would love to see a Rosario, a Soler, a Duvall, who's under contract or at least under control of the club, potentially back in the mix. But I think Christian Pache has a nice piece of this story to tell, quite possibly, if he's able to finally put things together and show he can hit enough at the big league level. Well, speaking of putting it together and, you know, important pieces to this team, you know, one guy that's always seems to be a point of you know, contention for a lot of people is Dansby Swanson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the guy has his ups and downs seemingly, but, you know, has become that steady piece out at shortstop and defensively what you more or less one of the top shortstops in the league. Yeah. What do you feel like 2022 holds for Dansby and not just next season, but even beyond that? That's a great question. And I'm not sure exactly how the Braves are going to tackle that. I think an extension for Dansby Swanson makes a certain amount of sense, but this is not the same place the Braves were in a few years ago when they were just signing guys to extensions. You know, they did Ronald and Ozzy together a few years before, excuse me, before that they signed Freddie Freeman to that extension. They actually gave Jason Hayward two years at that time for reasons that are still unknown to most people. Chris Johnson was given an extension. Not sure what that was about. Julio Tehran got an extension. I mean, that I think is what people look at and they're like, why don't we lock up all the young guys again? Well, I mean, you can do that. And hopefully some of them are interested in doing it the way that Ronald and Ozzy were interested in doing that and taking the, you know, what you know you can get rather than waiting around to see what you might get later on. And I think that the Braves benefited from that. I also think that the players benefit from that, at least to a certain degree. How much? That's uh, probably a whole other podcast to talk about. I don't know where I'm kind of at a dance I, I don't know that he has a level to go beyond what he's already shown us in 2021 and, and most of 2020 as well. I think he's just a guy that's somewhere in that 250 to 270 range. He'll on base somewhere around 330 to 350 maybe. He can pop 25 home runs, and he plays premium defense. And a lot of clubs would sign up for that. He may not ever turn into, you know, the next superstar shortstop that, well, what the Mets thought they were getting when they got Francisco Lindor. He may not be that kind of talent, but he's a guy that can help you win. And he has a knack for coming up in big moments. And I love players like that. So I'd be interested in seeing a way to re-sign him maybe before free agency comes around, but I don't know that he's necessarily a guy that if he does decide to go elsewhere that you can't replace if you're creative enough and think you have the right player to do it. Cool. So going back to some guys that you had, uh, you had mentioned previously, how do you see kind of fringe guys with big league experience like uh, Kyle Muller, uh, Tucker Davidson, Kyle Wright, uh, Tukey Toussaint, how, how do you see them fitting into the team in 2022? I mean, this is the thing I've been saying for a while when it comes to the Braves pitching prospects is, yeah, you want to grow all your starters at home if it's possible and have all these guys become standout pitchers like Mike Soroka before the injury, like Max Fried has become. That would be great if you could continue to do that. Like Ian Anderson is on the road to becoming, it would appear. But I also feel like you need to grow some of your relievers at home too. And you got a handful of righties in that mix that you said, along with a couple of lefties and Davidson and Muller. And I think that there's, some value to seeing maybe what Tuki Toussaint looks like as a reliever at this point, you know, at least for a year or two. And it's not saying they can't move back into the rotation at some point if you needed them to, but I also don't feel like they benefit from going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth from Gwinnett to Atlanta 
and never really getting the opportunity to have the consistency that they need to develop as big league pitchers. And then on the third hand, which we all have, you're trying to win. So you're not really looking at, can I develop players every day anymore? That's where they were a few years ago, but that's not where they are right now. So I'm interested to see who ends up getting that fifth starter spot. I think of that group you mentioned, Kyle Wright with what he did in the World Series has certainly RSVP to this little party in spring training. But I feel like, you know, Kyle Muller is the kind of arm that you'd love to see every fifth day. Tucker Davidson has been a guy that I'm really hoping that injuries aside, we'll get that opportunity to pitch at the big league level on a regular basis. And, you know, Tuki Toussaint, we've seen a good amount of, and there'll be others on the rise as well. So some of these guys in the bullpen, maybe in a longer relief role, maybe it's that dynamic righty reliever I was talking about that has big strikeout stuff. Tuki Toussaint certainly has that. And I'm not just like singling him out saying he can't start, but I also feel like at some point you've only got five spots in rotation and you can't keep trying to play the waiting game with these guys until they turn 25, 26, 27, 28 years old. And they're sitting there with less than 150 big league innings. All right, Grant, we're going to jump into some rapid fire superlatives uh, from this year's season. So uh, let, let's jump right into those team MVP. Austin Riley for me, Freddie Freeman can be the runner up there, but with what Austin Riley did, nobody, even the most optimistic Riley supporter, which I believe there may be a couple of us on this call could not have said breakout season for Austin Riley is going to include 300 batting average, 30 homers, hundred runs knocked in improving defense and big moments in the postseason. I don't know that we could have signed up for all of that. Would we've wanted to see it over the next two to three to four years? Absolutely. But I'd also see it go through some of the highs and lows, the growing pains that come with most young players establishing themselves. So I give it to Austin Riley. He did a whole lot in that 162 games, and then he had himself a nice little long court through the month of October. I think I think even the most optimistic of us maybe expected the power numbers he put up this yeah. season, but but to to bat over 300 along with that was just so far beyond what what most of us realistically expected. Hey man. The guy worked himself and worked himself and worked himself over and over and over and over again. I've known him since he was 18, 19 years old, and he was never afraid of the hard work, and he was never afraid of hearing the things that he needed to improve. And that, I think, that aptitude and that coachability and seeking out a lot of different um, vantage points and, and ideas in order to improve and to get the feedback he needed, that all told, it, it took a village but Austin Riley became the star third baseman the Braves have been looking for since Chipper Jones retired. How much, speaking of Chipper, how much do you think him being brought on as a as a part-time assistant played into Austin Riley's success this year? I think it helps. I mean, but then there's the, the old adage with guys like that. I mean, when Ted Williams was managing in the late 60s, early 70s, I don't know that Ted Williams was going to be able to raise all of those hitters to the likes of which would even approach what he did in his career. So I think there's a certain amount of just passing along the knowledge and letting hitters figure out how to kind of find their own voice, so to speak. And that certainly helps. But I think for Riley working in the off season, the work he did with Albert Pujols, I think has probably been helpful. Some minor league hitting coaches that may have given him just some, just good work and good work ethic and helped to foster that also played a big part in that. So I wouldn't give all the credit to Chipper, but I would not be surprised if there weren't some sessions that really built that confidence up. And that is something that is invaluable. And the Braves are fortunate to have a guy like that around that can give that to some of these young players, specifically a guy that is not too far away from the Chipper Jones tree. All right, next question. Uh, Best 2021 moment of the regular season. Oh, 
goodness. Um, the Eddie Rosario cycle, I always come back to because I just think it's absurd. You know, you take a pitch. <laughs> five pitches. The next four pitches, you hit for the cycle. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like that. Um, so I'd probably put that at or near the top of the list. Clinching a division, just the final out there. I mean, that's special every single year. There were some walk-offs and other things that happened throughout the season, but I think my favorite moment, just one that I just wouldn't have signed up for, you know, knowing that it was going to happen, would be somebody hitting for the cycle on five pitches. Very cool. All right. Solid uh, answer. Yeah, very (laughs) solid answer. All right. uh, Most improved position player. That's Austin Riley, hands down. And uh, finally, most improved pitcher. Man, that's a good question. I'm really, I look into the bullpen and I look for guys that needed to turn the corner a little bit or maybe amp it up and show they could do it over the course of a, of a full season. And there's no shortage of guys, but I guess maybe from the comeback player of the year category, Luke Jackson was a guy that most people did not want the Braves to resign. If they did, Hey, I don't want to see him anywhere near the big league roster unless he's a 26th man. And maybe on opening day, he was the 26th man. You can make that argument. But, you know, he kind of said, hey, I've got more in me than this 2020 season, and I want to go out there and prove it. And so I would say Luke Jackson might get my vote for it because you had to balance out all those lefties somewhere, and I think he did a very nice job of that. Great stuff. Well, you you know, if you're coming on this show, we're going to ask you at least one wrestling question before we let you get out of here. So without further ado, who is the greatest mid-card wrestler uh, in your opinion, uh, as in a guy who never held a world title of any kind. All right, I'm not going to tell you that this guy's a mid-carder because I think he graduated from the mid-card, and I think he's a true main eventer. I think that he's beaten all kinds of folks, in, including his own demons, in order to have the kind of comeback that most people didn't imagine. And that, I think, at least to me, would be Scott Hall. Scott Hall is always one of my great favorites. He never won the big one in the WWF. He never won the big one in WCW, but he was always around in those big main events and the big storylines and the big things that happened in the big boom time of wrestling, but he never won that world heavyweight title in the big companies. So I, I the way that he always approached that too, he's like, Hey, I don't need the belt, but if you're handing them out, I'll take one. <laughs> the way he talks about it, it's just hilarious to hear. I think him, Maybe even Jake Roberts. There's some other guys that I'll look at and say they were main event level guys that never won the world title to say, hey, they're the world champion, but they could sell out any house around the world. We, you know, yeah, after it, we after we cooked up that question, Cam and I spoke for probably 20 or 30 minutes speculating as to who you could have picked. I was actually shocked that uh, that that we didn't come up with one that you chose. We we did talk about Jake the Snake and uh, think Kurt Hennig and a few others, but Scott Hall is a great answer. Yeah, well, Kurt Hennig and Scott Hall were, of course, in the tag team in the AWA back in the day. So you weren't they too had far great mustaches too. But they certainly <laughs> did. If you what's that the Wrestle Rock thing that they had going on the AWA? Have you ever seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> It's horrendous. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised Ganya went with that, honestly. Yeah, it's so bad it's good, I think, in, <laughs> in hindsight. But, yeah, I'd love to hear some more of those answers that you guys have because a 20-minute discussion about that is probably short as far as – Cam, who, who else did you come up with? You had three or four of them. Well, I, Jake the Snake was really one that I 
really one that I harped on just because I kind of talked about him from the sense that he he never really needed the title. He truly didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, Grant, to your answer about Scott Hall, when you look back at just how over Razor Ramon was in, mm-hmm. you know, 94 and 95, the idea that he never really had a shot to carry the world title is kind of fascinating to me because yeah. that, that, that's a guy they really could have ran with. Yeah, when Cam, they were doing Cam's a little more of a rest. Sorry. Uh, Cam's a little more of a wrestling historian than I am. So I, I had to do a lot of research when he said this next name, because I, I did not believe that this guy could have possibly gone his entire career without a world championship. Uh, and that is Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah, I, I mean, Hot Rod, the main event of WrestleMania one. So you talk about main eventer, that's a pretty good, a very short list of folks on there. Although some of the guys that were in that main event are a little bit odd in hindsight, but it made sense back in the mid eighties. But yeah. And I, I think Roddy Piper really set the level for a lot of performers in terms of your personality playing as big or bigger part than anything you do in the ring. And he didn't do a lot in the ring, but everything he did had a purpose. And that I think is what made Roddy Piper so special. Well, and I think too, you know, when you ask a long list of guys who they believe is the greatest heel in wrestling ever, you know, probably a good six, seven out of 10 are going to say Piper that, you know, the amount of heat that that guy was able to draw is just unfathomable. Yeah. He was a, what do they call him? A heat seeker. Yeah. Like he was going to find it. And it was at some, most of the time it was the kind of heat that you wanted, but every once in a while, that guy was just so out there that he was going to get you some heat that, I mean, it worked out. Most of it, I think, worked out. But some of it, you just look at it and be like, man, you're not doing that in the year 2021. But that's kind of what <laughs> makes some of those old guys special. When you look back at it and you're like, wow, some things were crazy back then. It made it unique. And we don't necessarily need a bunch of carbon copies and ripoffs anyway. In fact, I really wish that you know a lot of companies would focus on giving us the guys and let them be who they are, which is something I think AEW does extremely well is giving you the product and giving you the characters and also giving you the work rate. And that's kind of fun to watch. It's very refreshing and it's very cool to have wrestling back on TNT, although it's going to be going back over to TBS, I guess, after the start of the year. Well, we, we needed an excuse to get back on TBS anyway, after, uh, after the Braves found greener pastures. Uh, But Grant, thank you very much for coming on. Of course, you're one of the few experts that we can talk to about both of these things. Uh, So that's always fun for us. Uh, But yeah, really appreciate you coming on. Well, hey, guys, I appreciate it. I also want to say I very much appreciate that Burgundy Boys shirt. I'm going to make sure that that gets a very top shelf appearance on Battery Power coming up. I've already wanted to work once. I got a lot of questions about what that is. (laughs) Love it. Let me tell you a story. So I appreciate that. And good luck with everything. You guys are doing an awesome job. And anytime I can stop by, I'll be happy to. Hey guys, Cam here. Going to take just a real quick break to tell you about our sponsors that bring you the Chatting Average podcast each and every single week. Of course, we want to talk to you about MyBookie. This year, Turkey Day at MyBookie gives you plenty of reasons to be thankful, starting with a $250 risk-free bet on Thursday afternoon when the Dallas Cowboys host the Las Vegas Raiders. Bet the spread with the Raiders and Cowboys at MyBookie. When you win, you win. And if you don't, 
Well, MyBookie will refund you up to $250. Simply put, you can't lose this bet. And that's what I call no risk, all gravy, daddy. Before you put your wager in, set set yourself up for success by doubling your first deposit using promo code SPORTSDRINK at MyBookie. That's promo code SPORTSDRINK to double your initial deposit all the way up to $1,000. So you won't need to break the wishbone to be the one to come out ahead. Feast risk free on Turkey Day with my bookie and make sure to stick around for seconds as they gear up for what should be a fun Black Friday with tons of odd boosts that will have your belly and your pockets full, most importantly. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. And also we have a new sponsor that we, we that we know that you guys are just going to love. Symbol is the stock market for sports that allows you to profit off your sports knowledge. On Symbol, you can trade sports teams like stocks. And every time your team wins, you earn cash. What's not to love about that? Use the sports knowledge on Symbol to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Join the 7,000-plus early adopters who have come to invest in their favorite teams. Again, visit www.simbull.com to create a free account. And when you deposit, make sure to use the promo code SD, that's SD as in sports drink, to make your deposit risk-free. Again, visit symbol.com and use the promo code SD and your deposit will be risk-free. Folks, I can't harp on that any more than I just did. That means even if you lose money, Symbol will refund your initial deposit, no questions asked. Join Symbol and start investing and profiting from your favorite team. And folks, finally, one more. We just want to talk about Spotify Green Room. You've joined us on Spotify Green Room before. You've joined our friends Doc and Dylan over at the Platinum Sombrero Podcast on Spotify Green Room. It is a live audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and use. You can talk to me, other fans, athletes, insiders in real time, and it's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Hey, if you need a break from Aunt, Cl- Aunt Carol at the dinner table on Thanksgiving Day, step outside, hop on Spotify Green Room, have some actual engaging conversation. Choose uh, Spotify Green Room is a free audio-only social media platform for sports fans. You can start on, start or join ongoing conversations, watch games together, and react to the biggest news, rumors, and games in real time. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free on iOS and Android devices, create a profile, link your Twitter account, and join whatever group you want to talk with. Spotify Green Room, it's super easy. It's a super great way to jump on conversations with others. But hey, speaking of conversations, we got a great one coming up right now that we think you're going to love. Joining us now on Chatting Average is a staple of Barstool Sports Podcasts. His completely 100% unbiased baseball takes can be heard on the show's Starting 9, Section 10, and Call Him Poppy. He is your Tribal Chief of Baseball. Get ready to acknowledge him, the Rocket, Jared Carabas. Jared, thank you for joining us today, man. This is the best intro I've ever gotten on a podcast ever. Um, I like it. I, I think... Yeah, I mean, I, I said before I came on, I was like, I don't really do other people's podcasts anymore because... <clears throat> Like when I'll go on, it's always like, uh, like I, you know, you don't know how many times I've done someone else's podcast. And then months later, they're just like, you know what? Fuck that guy. He sucks. And I'm like, what? What? It's like, I, I went what? on your podcast, but I know like <laughs> you guys are awesome. Like you guys have been all, uh, you know, buying into all like the brave stuff that, that I did for like the past couple of years. So I was like, nah, like I'm, I'm definitely doing this one. And you're wrestling fans. Like it was a no brainer. Love it, man. We, we try. We try. We're happy. And to have as you wrestling here. fans, no, it's all about the entrance. 
It is. Got, it's it's all in the entrance. You get the entrance, you got them hooked. Hundred uh, percent. But anyway, let's get right into it. So on, on you host a podcast with Dallas Braden, mm-hmm. who is a character, mm-hmm. let's say. Uh, <laughs> choice of words and everything mm-hmm. is, is always quite unique. Mm-hmm. Um, is he is he as much of a lovable lunatic in real life as he is in uh, in his podcast persona? That's so <clears throat> the thing about the thing about me is that I'm very different on camera than I am off. Like I'm very, uh, I'm very laid back. I, I was actually saying this to one of my friends. I was at the gym earlier, humble brag. I was working out and, uh, <laughs> th- like they didn't believe me that like, I just, I don't, I don't do anything. Like I don't really go out. Like I don't really drink anymore. I don't really party. I'm kind of like very, uh, I wouldn't say CM Punk more Shawn Michaels. When, when Shawn Michaels was like, I don't drink, we don't, we don't do drugs. And punk was like, anymore <laughs> and so <laughs> i don't uh i don't drink and i don't do drugs anymore uh so yeah i mean like the only time i hear my voice is when i'm doing podcasts or when i'm like ordering my coffee that's it dallas the way the crazy person that you hear on the podcast and in the videos that's him all the time like all the time we would do uh the the spring training trip where it's like, we'll do like eight days in Arizona, take a week off, do eight days in Florida. Um, and especially in Florida, Florida is an absolute grind. Like we'll get on the bus at, you know, it'll be like, we'll, we'll wake up at six, get on the bus at seven, get back to the hotel at midnight, drive to like a new town. It's, it's, it's a grind, but this dude never runs out of energy ever. Like it, it'll be, it'll be 7 a.m on like three hours sleep on like an eighth consecutive day of traveling on the road and, and doing content all day. And this dude is just like wired. And I don't understand it. I, I I'm very low energy regardless of how rested I am or, or how overworked I might be. Like, it doesn't matter. Like I'm pretty low energy. He is just whatever you think Dallas is, that is him all the time. Love it, love it. That that that's pretty cool. And, mm-hmm. and I gotta say, you know, as as a fan of Starting Nine, you guys have done some really really neat stuff over the past couple of years. Uh, but this past summer, you did quite possibly the coolest thing that you guys have done as a podcast, and that was the Field of Dreams game. Yeah. Can you just, a, a, as fans of, of baseball and field, the Field of Dreams movie, can you just walk us through what that experience was like and how it came about? Yeah, very surreal. Yeah, like it because it it was surreal to be there, and you know, like like we went through uh, like the field of corn with Johnny Gomes. It was like me, Dallas, and Johnny Gomes, and they were kind of like leading the way, and I was like trailing behind them. And to walk through the corn and then come out into the field of dreams, and we're all like in full uniform, knowing we're about to play a baseball game here. Uh, and we did the tour of the house first and, and that was cool. Cause they have it like the same way that it is in the movie. And, um, but to just to play baseball on that field was crazy. Like you, you know, you, you, the way that I've kind of always, um, like when I travel, it's always for something baseball. Like I, I don't know if I've ever gone anywhere besides maybe New Hampshire for, like to like traveling to a different state or a different city and it have it not 
have been for baseball purposes. So very rarely am I ever traveling to a state where there isn't a major league ballpark or at least a minor league ballpark or something. Um, so I never had a reason to go to Iowa. I know the Iowa Cubs are out there, but you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get on a flight to Iowa to go see the Iowa Cubs. Um, so it had to be something like this. Like, it's like, it's a very cool as a baseball fan, like a bucket list item to go see, uh, never mind, just play on it. Like to even just see the field of dreams. Um, but to get to like actually play on it was very, very, very cool. And to see, that was the first time I saw Dallas pitch competitively. Uh, he blew the game. <clears throat> yeah, I'm not, it's not, not gonna, I, you know, I wasn't going to bring it up. I, yeah, I wasn't, wasn't going to say anything. Yeah, I don't, I didn't, honestly, I, I don't even, I don't even want to get into that. It's, uh, you know, it's. He didn't have his best stuff that day. No, no, no. He actually never has his best stuff anymore. He's terrible. We, we just played in a game <laughs> in, uh, we were in Dallas, Texas. What was that? Two weekends ago. And we played in this uh, Sandlot game that Jack White puts on every single year. And it's usually like a different city. Like Ian Kinsler was there and Latroy Hawkins and uh, David Murphy. There's a bunch of dudes there. And uh, Dallas got the start. And uh, I think I was hitting third. Very, very hittable pitches. Very hit. I mean, first of all, he was scared. He was scared to like, I knew that he was, he was going to keep going away. He didn't want to throw anything in. So it was like fastball away, ball, fastball away, I believe was a ball, or maybe he called it a strike, but it was definitely a ball. So I was like, all right, he's not coming inside on me. So I'm going to look away. And then I ended up shooting a ball to right field. I mean, it was probably the deepest right field in, in the league. It was probably like 600 feet to, to right field. So he ended up making the catch, but otherwise probably Homer. That's a home. That's like one of those like stack cast things where it's like a home run in 18 ballparks that that's what that ball was. But um no, I mean the Field Dreams game was awesome. That that Sandlot game was pretty cool too. I, I had fun in that one. But um yeah, it's it's cool to like have a job like that where just random shit like that pops up all the time. Now what so, what was your what was your history playing? Like most people just don't get in there and and you know get a knock off a off a former major leaguer. Well, he sucks. Like that like it's <laughs> not like he's good. <laughs> I mean, it's not like he's <laughs> That's the difference. Um, like pretty much anyone could get a hit off Dallas at this point. Uh, I played through high school. I know I, I, <clears throat> there's a lot of mean people on the internet and, uh, I always, for whatever reason, it's almost like one person said it and then everyone wanted to believe it. So it became a fact, but everyone's like, you got cut from your high school baseball team, blah, blah, blah. And you sucked and this and that did not, uh, I played all four years. And I think I was, I played varsity two years, junior and senior year. And then I played in the, the new England baseball league. I didn't play in college because I went to a night school. Cause I was just like, I, I know what I want to do with my life. And I know I'm not going to make it to the big leagues. I, I was not nearly even remotely close to being good enough to play in the big leagues. I was also very undersized. I was like a, I was probably like 113 pounds when I graduated high school. I was sickly looking. So there was no chance I was going to play professional baseball. So I was like, all right, well, I know that I want a job in baseball in some capacity. So I went to night school. I worked during the day and I played in the New England Baseball League until 2010. And then that was the last time that I played competitively. Were there, were there any, you know, any like superstars in the making that you came across playing in that league? 
I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know that there were there were a lot of like D1 guys. It was basically like a summer league for for D1 college baseball players. Um so yeah, it was cool to to be able to play and hang with some of those dudes, but there were a lot of just beer league shit baseball players that were just like dudes that were looking for something to do. Um so that's what the category that I fell into, but yeah, I do remember and I, I, I talked about this on section 10, the last, the last game that I ever pitched was in that league. Uh, I gave up a home run to the leadoff guy and then threw a no hitter the rest of the way. So Dallas was this close to having to deal with me talking about throwing two no hitters, not just one. <laughs> I like it. I like mm-hmm. it. Well, uh, well, Jared, it's been well established that you predicted the Braves to win the World Series all the way back in spring training. No, January. It was before that. Oh, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Mid-Jan. January 13th, I believe, was the date. And, okay, well, I'm not going to argue it then. If you you can pull the date (laughs) out like that, I'm not going to argue it. (laughs) So, from your vantage point, though, was this one of the more improbable routes that a team has ever taken to hoisting the commissioner's trophy? Um, I mean, obviously like the, the first comparison that comes to mind is always going to be the nationals, but the nationals, uh, their rotation was like, yeah, if if they can just scratch across some runs, like why wouldn't they go on a run here? Like they, they they never should have started off as poorly as they did. When you look at the Braves, you understand why they were a 500 team or a team that kept flirting with going above 500, but never quite could until what was it like July it was August, August. First week of August before we hit, before we got above 500. Yeah. And I think we were talking about it on starting nine where it was three or four different times. The Braves got to 500 and then lost the next game. So, I mean, they were flirting with a winning record all year. It's not like if you can like that division was terrible, like all year. And I know that everyone was super excited about the Mets and, and I didn't quite buy into the hype at all actually i think mets fans hated me in the first half of the season because i kept saying um i kept looking at the run differential and mets fans like why can't you just be happy for us like we're in first place like we're playing good baseball we're winning games and i was like yeah but like the braves are better than you like their (laughs) record does not reflect how good they are and your record doesn't reflect how kind of bad you are so i I was like "I, i think water will find its level at some point and the Braves will pass you and they will like, I remember saying in June or whatever it was, yeah, the, the Braves are still going to win this division. And that was like a controversial take back then. And Mets fans are like, why can't you just back us this one time? Because I, I, I don't believe in the Mets. I do believe in the Braves and I do believe in their ability to like, you're not going to be able to replace a Ronald Acuna jr. You're not gonna be able to do that, but you can go out and get four guys that are going to be able to, <laughs> to make up for the production that you're missing from Acuna. And that's exactly what the Braves did. They went out and get four guys to replace one guy and it worked and it worked. And I, and I like, there is something to be said about uh, the attitude and character and um, environment that came along with Jock Peterson. Like he, he, like we had, who do we have on? Uh, it was a mentor that was talking about it, about how like Jock came in and just, he was buddies with the position players. He was buddies with the the starters. He was buddies with the relievers and he was telling everyone like, Hey, we're going to win the world series. And then they just go out and do it. And, and he was talking it, not just 
in privately to his teammates. He was talking it publicly too. He put out that players tribune piece and it was like, yeah, let, let's fucking go. Like, like you need those guys. And I'm not saying that Ronald Acuna jr. Is not someone that brings energy. He definitely brings a lot of energy, but that's a different kind of energy. The, Hey, just so that you all know, we're going to win the world series. And it's coming from a guy that just won the world series. Like he was just there and he won last year. So he knows what it takes versus Acuna being like, rah, rah, everyone let's go. It's like, well, none of us here have ever really tasted champagne uh, around Halloween. Like that's just not something that anyone here has ever done. Jock comes in and it's like, all right, well, th that guy knows what it takes and he believes in us. So let's go. Jared, you brought up the, the acquisitions of the, of the four outfielders to essentially replace Ronald with with the Braves winning the World Series this year, you know, due in large part to those moves, what kind of precedent do you think that sets moving forward for GMs and fan bases come the trade deadline moving forward? Um, I think that it kind of reinforces the the need for scouting. You know, I think that like analytics are important. They're a big part of our game, but they're not everything. And you can't, you can't account for, you can't just type in a player's name on a computer and tell you exactly what they're going to be able to give you. And um, the impact that one guy can have on an entire team. Like for example, Max Scherzer going to the Dodgers, you add Max Scherzer to your team and you're immediately substantially a better ball club because of what he can do on the mound. And because of, like if you already have other talent in the room, they're going to follow that guy around and they're going to be like, what does he do on his start day? What does he do on his, on his throw day and, and his bullpen day? And, and what's his weight training? Like what does he lift after games? Does he lift before games? Like when does he lift like it, all that type of stuff? You just make everyone better. And I think when the Braves went out and made all those additions, it's like, okay, like, do we add any superstars? No, not really not some superstars here, but I think that there's definitely some guys that can help us out guys that fit a need. And even a guy like uh, Solaire, how many people were looking at that being like, Oh, that's, that's nice. You know, cool. They have Solaire now. It's like this dude almost hit 50 fucking bombs in the, in the big I mean, leagues. It, like that should have been much a, a, holy shit. The Braves got Solaire. I lost my mind when I saw we signed Solaire and, and I was completely shocked that I was the only one losing my mind. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people treat it as just kind of a low risk, high reward True. type of guy of like, you know, we really didn't give up much for him. He's not having a great year this season, mm -hmm. you know, but if he finds it and sure oh, enough, he, he, found did. It. Yeah, he, found <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, they're still looking for it in Houston. <laughs> um, do, do you think that what the Braves were able to do this season sets the table for maybe more teams to go for it in the future? Maybe teams that are hovering at or below that 500 mark now that uh, I don't know if you can call it a blueprint, but now that they've seen another team go out and make that kind of change at the deadline. I think it depends on, on the situation. Like that situation was perfect for the Braves to pounce because the division was weak. Um, the Mets, you could tell weren't for real. You could tell that the Braves were, it's just, they didn't have a rocket strapped to their ass at that point yet. Um, 
I think it's also what's, what's available to you. Like if you're say, say that happens again next year and it's like, you can't, you're not going to like how the um, I guess like the, the, the Max Scherzer Trey Turner trade is, is one example, but like the, the, um, the Berrios trade, it's like, okay, you're not going to go out and make a trade like that to save your season. That's like a, that's a long con type type deal to make. Um, so it's not, it's, it's really about circumstance. And I think it was a perfect storm for Atlanta, given that they didn't have to give up a ton for the players that they brought in. They were all nice complimentary pieces. None of them were superstars, like, like a Scherzer Turner type deal where you're giving up a ton to roll the dice on maybe turning it around in the second half. It was just like, all right, we can give up like a little bit here to kind of bring in some pieces. Maybe they fit a need. Maybe it works out. Maybe it doesn't. Um, we're not going to trade Freddie, obviously like that's our guy. So let's, let's give us a shot. One last run with Freddie Freeman. And if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out, but then you win a championship and instantly there's that. I mean, it, it happened in Boston with Mike Lowell. Red Sox won the World Series in 2007. Mike Lowell, free agent. And it happened with Nathan Avaldi after the Red Sox won in 2018, too. It's like Nathan Avaldi, free agent, but postseason hero, postseason hero. And immediately, all like there's a groundswell to like bring this guy back. You got to pay this guy. You, how could you let this guy walk? How, how are we going to hand out our rings on opening day? And Mike Lowell's not going to be there? No. And Nathan Avaldi's not going to be there? No. Like, Freddie Freeman, like we're talking about a cornerstone franchise guy, which like the Atlanta Braves, I don't know if you guys listened to the episode where we did the Atlanta Braves Mount Rushmore. Probably you guys had some trouble. You guys had the, some trouble. It's the most that. difficult. I, I think the Atlanta Braves Mount Rushmore is the most difficult one of any team in baseball. Well, you're trying to fill from three what spots. we've done so far. Four spots. You know, you're trying to fill three spots because Hank's on there. I don't care who you are. Right, right, right. And I think what we agreed to do was like we cannot include uh, Maddox, Smoltz, or Glavin. Like they're just like, what would it be without those three? They have their own monument somewhere. Else. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's just it was very, very, very hard. Um, but Freddie Freeman, if he ends up coming back, that that's just another name that would make that Mount Rushmore conversation even more difficult because, you know, kind of how like we operate is we like to take one guy from every era to like represent that different era of, of Braves baseball. But I mean, those, those nineties Braves teams, it's like, all right, well, there's a shit ton of guys that are worthy of being there. Just like, even just like the nineties Braves Mount Rushmore would be very difficult. Never mind the entire existence of the franchise. So yeah, but so speak, even... speaking of them, I mean, Jared, you're you're far better connected than we are. Um, I mean, I, if you have any news to drop, this this would be a fantastic place to do it. Breaking news: Freddie <laughs> Freeman is returning to the Atlanta Braves seven year deal. What would that that he would be a Brave to, through age thirty nine? Correct. Damn. I mean, they Boom. should just do that. Done. They should just give him six years with an option for a seventh year. It's vesting based on plate appearances over the last two years of the six year pact. Give him like what average annual value of 27, something. something yeah. I was going to say, I was going to say somewhere around 25, but 27 sounds good too. 
Uh, I don't know that it ages well, but you, you got to front, front load it. Yeah. Bring him back. You can't, you can't, you can't see Freddie Freeman in another uniform than an Atlanta Braves uniform. Like it's, it wouldn't, it wouldn't look right. As much as I hate, you know, Aaron judge, I don't want to see him in another uniform. I want him to stay in New York. Freddie I mean, Freeman. You thought this town was in shambles after, after what your boys did to the Falcons in the Super Bowl a few years back. Mm. Just wait, mm. wait till you see what this town would be like after, if Freddie Freeman got, gets cut loose. Can't happen. Can't happen. And I think that it's, it's just so obvious. Like if you're going to pay Marcelo Zuna, I don't know if we can like say that name around these parts, but if you're going to pay Marcelo <laughs> Zuna, what a bad look that would be if it ends up being dead money. If they want to just like release the guy that like you cannot justify even coming off a championship, you cannot justify to your fan base we are paying Marcelo Zuna, but Freddie Freeman, that was a little too steep for us. Can't do it. Can't God, do I it. hadn't thought about it from that perspective. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. They have no excuse, though. I mean, this whole postseason, that, that they were printing money out at the battery outside of the stadium. Mm-hmm. So uh, moving away from that, because that could get depressing for, <laughs> for us if we think about it too much. <laughs> uh, uh, so... I, I can't imagine what a thrill it would be for for Camerai to to host a podcast with a, a legend from the team we grew up a fan of, like hosting a Chipper Jones podcast or something like that. Mm. You're hosting Call Him Poppy with David Ortiz. Mm-hmm. How did that come to exist? And and what is your relationship with David Ortiz like? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so this all came to be. When I was at the Barstool Christmas party in December of 2017, I had just moved to New York in like that August I was there. And uh, we had our Christmas party at Gem Saloon. Check it out. I think it's on 27th and 3rd. Great, great bar. I go there pretty much every time that I'm back in New York. And I was in the bathroom and this dude walks up to me and uh He's like, are you Jared Carabas? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, uh, he's like, I work for David Ortiz. And I was like, cool, man. <laughs> he's like, no, no. He's like, I okay. really, he's like, I really do. And like, he pulled out his phone and he showed me that he was logged into David Ortiz's like Instagram and Twitter. And I was like, oh, I was like, I feel like we should be friends then. So we exchanged information. Um, we just like kind of kept in touch over the years, like here and there. And then um, it was probably like June of 2020 because I, I had come back to Boston because of COVID and like people weren't going into the office. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm just going to go back to Boston and chill then. So I was, I think I was like out to dinner with like a couple of my friends and he reached out and was like, you know, we want to get in the podcast game. How do, how do we go about that? And I was like, you want to get in the podcast game in general, or you want to get in the podcast game with me? And he was like, well, kind of like both, like, you know, we want to do something with Barstool and like you and David. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, sure. Like, I was like, this is literally never going to happen. Uh, like they're, they're probably going to want a shit ton of money, like up front. And like, if you're not familiar with podcasting and, and all that, it's like, you know, you're not going to just sign a million dollar deal. It's, it's just, you know, you've got a, there's like rev shares and all kinds of shit like that. So I was like, I, I'd love to do it but there's a 0% chance that this comes to fruition. However, if you want, I'll, I'll put you on a call with Erica uh, next week and you guys can talk it out. All right, great. 
So, you know, I put them on a call, whatever. And for months, I mean, it was, I remember, I, I think like if that was June, I think I went, I visited the office that November and it was still like, yeah, like I don't, doesn't sound great. Doesn't, doesn't sound like we're, we're anywhere close to something happening. The holidays happen. And like, it was out of mind by that point. Like I wasn't even thinking about it anymore. And then I think it was probably like March or April of this year. And I just like get like a text or an email like, Hey, um, it was like Wednesday. They're like, Hey, Friday, we're, uh, we booked your flight to Miami, uh, to go shoot like episode one of the URTs podcast. And I was like, what? They're like, yeah, like it's happening. So like, you know, see you at the airport. <laughs> it's like, uh, okay. I'm on my way. Yeah. I was like, all right, sounds great. And, and episode one was just interviewing David and, uh, we were, went to his house and it was originally episode one was supposed to be a rod. So I land in Miami thinking that I'm interviewing a rod with David Ortiz for episode one of this new show. And I land at the airport, get in a cab, get to my hotel, walk in the door, put my bag down, open my phone, get a text message. Hey, A-Rod had to reschedule. And I was like, I'm, I just fucking got here. (laughs) What do you mean that he has to reschedule? (laughs) So we pivoted, which was better anyway. Like, I feel like, you know, to build chemistry, it should have just been me and David for the first one anyway. Um, But we pivoted to episode one is just me interviewing David. And he gave me all the time that I wanted. We did like an hour and 45 minutes. It was in his house. So just like walking around David Ortiz's house was pretty wild. And there was no like hangout, get to know each other, period. It was just like, Jared, David, David, Jared. All right. See you guys later. And we'll we'll let us know when you guys are done. And we'll shut the cameras off. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, like that interview is basically like us kind of getting to know each other. Um, but he's great. I mean, he, he treats every, like when he walks into the room, you can obviously feel that superstar energy. Like he still has that, um, where like, you know, everyone kind of just like stops what they're doing and they, you just, your eyes gravitate towards him and he's just has like this superstar presence. Um, but he doesn't treat people like he's a superstar. He's super nice to everyone. He gives people the time of day and, um, just, you know, thoughtful, respectful, caring guy. And like, even on like the day that we shot the commercial, like there, like there is a, what was it? Probably June ish, June, July. I did a live show. So we did a section 10 live show audience whole deal. We're at this bar with a stage outside and uh, the show ended at like midnight and the, I've got to wake up at 4 a.m. to get on a flight 6 a.m. to Miami. So we fly there and go straight from the airport to the Padres team hotel. I got changed in the bathroom and interviewed Fernando Tatis Jr. with David in a conference room, finished that interview got in David's big ass like van that's got like a like rows of seats and like a table and TVs and all this shit and drive to some baseball field, shoot that Nutrisystem commercial and then get back on a plane and I'm back in Boston that night. But when we were shooting the commercial, 
it was like, yeah, uh, this should, shouldn't take more than like 45 minutes and it ended up taking like three hours and the sun is just beating on us. And David, I mean, David is such an A-lister that he could have just been like, you know what? Fuck this. Like, I don't need to do this. Super. He was way cooler about it than like I was being, I was like, are, are we done yet? Like what the fuck? Like, you guys said 45 minutes. I was like I've sweat out 13 pounds already. And David was just like, yep, whatever you need, whatever you need, you know, what, what do you want me to do? What's my line here? All right, cool. Like, what do you want me to say? All right. Like he, he was just like super cool about a situation that he definitely did not have to be super cool about. Um, so yeah, I was impressed by that, but to the extent of our, our relationship, uh, I, I only text him in Spanish, but he answers in English. So, <laughs> so we, uh, all right. that's, we, we only text like here and there. It's not like, it's not all the time. Um, th there's, there's been like a couple of FaceTime calls and there's, you know, he's, he's called me a few times. We just, you know, talked about whatever. And <laughs> he's just uh, like, he'll straight up just from the clouds, reach out and be like, how you doing, bro? It's like, he'll just check in. Just my pal, David. That's just the coolest how you're thing doing. in the world. Yeah. Hey David, yeah. doing great. How are you? <laughs> Yeah, he's just—he's—he's uh, he's a very thoughtful guy. So, so when when the cameras aren't rolling and the when the microphones are off and you two are just talking, is he David or is he Poppy? Uh, I don't think he can shut Poppy off. I think uh, no. Like what? What are you calling him? Just oh, um, I call him David. Okay. Yeah, I'll call him David, but like. Sometimes I'll call him Poppy. <laughs> it's, it's it's really depends on uh it depends on I guess the, the vibe at that time. Um but yeah, no, it's cool. Like there was uh like at that time that we were we were shooting that commercial, like when we were in that van, he was like FaceTiming his son. And like I know his son, like we we kind of like uh connected through Instagram. So, you know, we're like he's talking to his kid. I'm talking to his kid. We're talking, I'm talking to him about his kid. So yeah, he, he's actually really good at baseball. So he goes to the same, I believe he goes to the same high school that A-Rod went to when he got taken in the first oh, wow. round, first overall down in Florida. Yeah. So he's pretty legit. So we're going to have another poppy, but <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I know uh, here in Atlanta, he's got a, he's got a lot of fans for shouting out magic city and uh, during a world series broadcast, for goodness sake, that was mm -hmm. incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, going back to earlier, you were talking, when we were talking about the, the field of dreams game, you, you mentioned that that was like one of your bucket list items with all the cool stuff that, that what you're doing has given you the opportunity to take part in what is left on the baseball <laughs> bucket list? Uh, man. Um, oh, I really want to get into a world series dog pile someday. I mean, I feel like, I feel That's like, cool. if, yeah, yeah, that's a good I, one. I feel like, I feel like we're, we're right there. I feel like we're right there. I think if, if the Red Sox win the World Series in 2022 or 2023, I bet I could get away with getting in the dog pile and not getting arrested for it. And I <laughs> feel like the players honestly, wouldn't even be if mad. you did, probably worth it. Oh, definitely worth it. Yeah, uh, I I think it would be it wouldn't be great career wise if because like you know if you if you're just like 
a random person and you run on the field, then you do a night in jail and you get banned from the ballpark or like all major league ballparks. But it's like, how do they really enforce that? You can't. Right. Someone in my position, if you ban me, (laughs) you could probably enforce that. Like it's, I wouldn't be able to get like credentials or anything like that. And like, you know, sometimes like MLB, I think like in the 2018 world series, a couple of the games, like MLB put tickets aside for us. Like that's, that's no longer a thing. So I don't know. I don't know that I'm trying to think of like, what else, what else would I want to do? Cause I, it's, it's absolutely insane to me that just as a baseball fan, broad, like podcaster, blogger, like whatever you want to call me, I've pretty much everything that a big leaguer would want to have happen. I've had happen. So I got to be in the Red Sox world series parade. I got a world series ring in 2018. I have my own tops baseball card. And one of the Red Sox minor league teams gave me a bobblehead night. What else is a big leaguer? Is there to do? (laughs) That's pretty good stuff. World series parade, world series ring baseball card bobblehead night like what what else besides like actually playing in the game what else would you want like i guess i guess being in a video game i guess uh being in like mlb the show would probably be the only thing from that list at least where it's like yeah you're in the big leagues this is what comes along with being in the big leagues is you get x y and z I, i i would say some sort of mlb the show type action I'm thinking you got to go full Billy Crystal, Will Ferrell, and and get on the get field in spring training. Play with him in spring training. Yeah. I feel like that's probably not impossible. It, it's it's been achievable by those guys. Yeah, yeah. I you know what? I'd like to get the at bat while I still have a shot. I don't want to be 63 got- years old and then they've got me in there against <laughs> some dude that's blowing 98 with a wipeout slider. Like, even if you throw me a get me over fastball, like I'm not hitting that at any age above 36. All right. Well, we're on, we're on the clock, Red Sox. We got to get him in there. (laughs) Yeah. You've got, you've got like a handful of years left before I decline your offer to play in your silly little baseball game. Well, Jared, uh, you just mentioned uh, the Red Sox being close in the next season or two. And that's actually a really good segue to our next question. Um, this actually comes from one of our patrons, big friend of the show. His name is Josh Goldberg. He's one of my best friends in real life down here in North Carolina. Huge Red Sox fan, Ooh. huge Section 10 fan. Ooh. So when I told him that you were coming on the show, he was like, well, I've got to ask him a couple of questions. <laughs> so I said, OK, sure. So uh, his first question is, what is your current 2022 Red Sox outlook? With the loss of Erod, Schwarber still hanging out, and potential prospects in the mix, what direction do the, do the Sox need to take for next season? Um, I think that there's still a chance that Schwarber comes back. Uh, I know that they've been listed as the favorite, but I don't want to like buy into that and have some sort of optimism that I, I shouldn't have. Um, I still think that the Red Sox are a very realistic landing spot. Um, I like Matt's. I do. I don't know that he's the perfect replacement for Eddie, but I do like Matt's. Maybe they go that route. I know that he has a lot of suitors. And I think people immediately think offseason and they think 
free agency frenzy, but I think Heim gets creative and replaces someone in the rotation via trade. I think, uh, I think they've got some interesting trade pieces. Um, some of them would break my heart more than others. Uh, that's the other thing that really sucks about this job is I think when I moved away from blogging, you have to be more critical, especially if you're blogging every single game, every single day. It's like you're you're hyper focusing on certain guys at bats way more when you're when you're covering the sport on the daily versus doing two podcasts a week. Where I think you know it's section ten is more entertainment based than we're breaking it down X's and O's type deal. But you know you you get close to some of these guys, and then in the off season, trade rumors start flying. And, and I think the most interesting podcast segments in the off season, at least is like, what, what would you do if you were the general manager, what would you do? And it's like, well, there might be a scenario where if I were the general manager, you, you might find me trading one of the guys that I really like that, you know, it, it, it's not, it's, it's two different jobs. It's like, I, I'm not the general manager, so I'm not going to tell you what I would do right. because yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's super weird, but I think uh, I just have full trust in Heim and I feel like he's getting there uh, with he's definitely he's already there with the smart fans. And then there's, there's some older fans that are like, well, he's just going to turn a team into the Tampa Bay Rays. And it's like <laughs> Tampa Bay Rays just went to the world series last year. Like not a bad I, place to be. Yeah. I feel like getting <laughs> the world series is kind of the goal and then winning it. Um, I, and, and, and that's really, that's, I've said this about Heim and the people that say that he's going to turn the Red Sox into the Tampa Bay Rays. I was like, incorrect. He's going to turn the Red Sox into the Tampa Bay Rays with money. That's called the Dodgers. (laughs) (laughs) The way that they operate is, yeah, like we, we draft, we develop, we make trades, we sign guys in free agency, we sign guys internationally. Um, We're smart. We have this conveyor belt of talent at the minor league levels so that when other guys that we maybe don't want to pay to stay here, uh, we just have the next stud to come up and take their spot. And it's just a never ending supply of talent from within and ability to go out and get even more talent via trade. Like that's like the Dodgers are, are the blueprint. It's not the Rays. And like Haim, Haim hasn't spent significant funds yet as the chief uh, baseball officer but that's probably because he's, he's not dumb. Like the, how many times have the Red Sox spent stupid money and lived to regret it? And I know that you guys probably like Pablo Sandoval, but that was the worst contract in Red Sox history. And they only did it because he was out there and they had the money. They're like, all right. Yeah. $95 million. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Fat guy, bring him in. And it was the worst <laughs> idea ever. They just, they were, they were coming off a of last place season there was a free agent that just won the world series and everyone loved him in San Francisco. And they're like, yeah, we got money. Who gives a fuck him five years, $95 million. What could go wrong? (laughs) (laughs) But Heim's just not doing that shit. He's just not, he's not spending money just to spend money. And, and I, I get that it's exciting when your team spends money. It's not necessary all the time to be better. Like some of the best players in the Red Sox last year, uh, we're not making a ton of money. Kike Hernandez, what do you get like $14 million like two years or like $18 million over two years, something stupid like that. 
um, Christian Arroyo making pennies as, as kind of like this dude that uh, needed an opportunity former first round guy. Like Heim just has an eye for talent. So it's like, all right, like who's this Garrett Whitlock guy. You're really going to, you're really going to put this fucking guy in the bullpen. Like who is he? He's the best reliever on the team. That's who the fuck he is. The Yankees didn't have a, a 40 man roster spot for him, but Heim was like, Oh yeah, 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 sure. We'll take him." Like the number of guys that like were making fun of the Yankees for, for Garrett Whitlock last year was great. They're just like, you mean to tell me that you had 40 guys that are better than this guy. I find that hard to believe. <laughs> I find that hard to believe. So yeah, I mean, like I, I I'm, I'm not bracing myself for, but I'm also prepared for um, not necessarily a quiet off season, but in the eyes of some fans, perhaps an underwhelming one. Sure. I don't think they're going to go sign Correa or fucking Seager or Trevor story or whatever. Simeon. I think they'll be in on them. And if the price is right, sure. We'll pounce, but we're not going to, we're not going to outbid the top spender for certain guys. It's just not going to happen. Another follow-up question from, from Goldberg. He wanted to know, are you a Clask and Flagons guy or a Citizens Public House guy? Ooh. Um, so we have... Now, the... now help, help, help enlighten us on that because we're I, I have no clue what he means by that. He's been to Fenway. I have not. I'm, I'm guessing bars in the Fenway area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm a baseball tavern guy. And okay. they, they tore it down um, about a year ago. So now I'm a fucking go home after the game guy. I don't, <laughs> I don't go anywhere. Cask, we have beef with. I can't remember. Oh. If we to- I can't remember if we told that story, um, publicly. But we did a live show there in 2018, and they just did not even come remotely close to treating us great. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were, we were just like, yeah, we're never, we're never doing a show here ever again. And I, I've never gone there as a patron ever since. Um, and then, yeah, baseball tavern was my jam. We would, we would, uh, go to the baseball tavern every Friday night. If it was a seven o'clock start Friday, we'd be there after the game. And if it was a a seven o'clock start on Saturday, we'd go there after those games and, and section 10 listeners knew that that's where we went. So it was basically like a section 10 hangout every Friday night after a home game. And then they just sold the building, tore it down and took my heart with it. So now uh if i go to red sox game that's i just go straight home uh i'll like i'll like wait and like i'll like getting out of the games takes more time now because people will stop and like they want to like say hi and like that's awesome i love that like it it it's it's different for me as someone that just has very little human interaction throughout the course of of the day or life in general uh, so when I go to the games, it's like, it's cool to, to meet people that listen to the podcast and like love and appreciate it. Um, but yeah, so it's like, go to the game, walk out to meet the people and then just go straight to my car and go home. I don't, I don't do that shit no more. <laughs> and, uh, Goldberg also told me to tell you that he loves you. All right. Uh, moving love on. Too. All right. There you go. You, you just, you just <laughs> made his win. day. <laughs> big win all right uh wrapping up here jared uh obviously we know that you are a huge wrestling fan so we couldn't yes. let you go unless we ask you the same question that we asked uh braves beat writer grant mccauley uh who is also a huge wrestling fan who in your mind is the best mid-card worker of all time as in someone who Ooh. never held a world title owen hart 
Okay. I yeah. like it. Great answer. I like it. Yeah. Fantastic uh, answer. Yeah, I think I think Owen Owen never got his shine as a singles competitor. Um, I think the stuff that he did with like the nation was funny, but like still it's like Owen is so much more than like a a comedy character. And the fact that like his last run was as the fucking blue blazer. It's like there's time and place for it, but like I, I and I also think that it's it's crazy that he's not in the Hall of Fame. And I get to an extent why he's not because WWE, I mean, the Hart family like sued the shit out of WWE. And I think I forget how much money they ended up getting um in the lawsuit i think they settled out of court but they don't want everyone to be like hey remember that time that you murdered the guy that you're inducting into your hall of fame and like you're you're now gonna try and get like positive pr and and you're gonna probably put more owen hart merch on sale and you're gonna profit off of this and like he's not here to accept this because of you like i get why WWE is hesitant to put Owen Hart into the Hall of Fame because all of that will happen. Like fans will be like, "Hey, wish wish we could have heard his speech, but you murdered him." So I get it from Vince's perspective, but you f- still have to fucking do it. Like the guy deserves it, and it just it doesn't sit right with a lot of wrestling fans when we talk about Owen Hart and we don't get to say WWE Hall of Famer after that so i hope that they do it um and you know quick follow-up here um worse murderer vince mcmahon or babe ruth i thought you were gonna say chris benoit um (laughs) oh no (laughs) i would say definitely babe ruth because i mean he burned someone alive he 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 burned his own wife alive to save $250,000, which is granted, that's a lot of money, but I don't think anyone has to die because of it. You just, you know, you just get your divorce and you keep moving, babe. <laughs> All right, Jared. So uh, just to wrap it up. So you, you set Braves Twitter ablaze this season with a fairly simple five word tweet. Mm-hmm. This is our season finale, and we were just talking about wrestling. Every good wrestling show sends the fans home happy. Mm. Tell the people about this Braves team one time. This Braves lineup fucks. Fucks hard. And, and you know what? Prediction time? They don't stop fucking in 2022. Jared Carabas, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on the show, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks, having guys. Me. Appreciate you having me. Man, I really hope you guys enjoyed that because that was a ton of fun for us. Uh, big thank you to to Jared Carabas, Grant McCauley, and Kevin McAlpin, uh, all for coming on the show and, and and you know hopefully making this special for you, but definitely making this a a special season finale for us. Yeah, that was. I mean, you want to talk about. You know, we talked about last week after having Tucker on, just, you know, how down to earth, easy talk to but like all three of these guys. I swear we could have just spent hours uh, just chatting baseball with, you know, you, you just, when you get around guys like that who work so closely with the game, it's just it, it's refreshing to have opportunities to talk to guys. Um, 
with that kind of background because they they get it you know they they know that where we are coming from as fans and so that's just that that was three very fun conversations that we got to have over the last few days uh to put this show together and the the fun thing about having having three bona fide pros like these guys on the show is like we we spent the last several days obsessing over the questions that we were going to ask them and how we wanted the conversation to go. When in reality, we could have pretty much just said go to these guys and they would have filled up 30, 45 minutes. They're just, (laughs) they're so, there's such a distinct difference between like, like us and this podcast and these guys that are the true professionals. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like like I said, you know, these are three guys that just genuinely love the game and look at it, I think, a lot deeper than most do. You know, even, you know, guys like you and I who, you know, for God's sake, we host a baseball podcast. You know, they they just have such a different perspective on it than most do. And so it's really fun just to tap into that. And, you know, I'm, I just I, I really appreciate all three taking their time to, you know, hop on Skype or Zoom with us, you know, and, and record this show. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. And 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 speaking of which. Uh, it's going to get sappy here for a minute, guys, but, uh, you know, we we started this thing in 2020 and we had probably two to three months of trying to record a podcast with zero direction because there was no baseball. Um, I know a lot of you guys that are listening right now listened back then, too, and, and that's just incredible to me because we had no clue what we were doing. Now we're we're. We still don't, but we're getting there. Um, <laughs> but uh, a, a sincere and heartfelt thank you to every single one of you who who spends any of your free time listening to us. Yeah, you know, it, we we have we have so many folks like from the very beginning, you know, since we released episode one, um, you know, well over uh, well over a year ago to now that you know we we still interact with and, and we know still keep up with the show and you know that that's really cool but then like another cool thing that we've seen a lot this season that you know Alex and I have talked about a lot off air is you know the new names that that we're seeing that we didn't necessarily know before you know we di- we didn't know who these folks were last season but it's kind of neat having new folks come along that like hey they discovered our show and now, you know, they're hanging out with us on Twitter and interacting with us. And like, that's not, that's not lost on us. Just how neat that is that again, like Alex said that, you know, you choose to take some of your free time that you could be doing God knows anything else. And you've chosen to listen to our, our little podcast. That, that's, that's pretty cool to me. And, uh, and, and a, uh, a special shout out to uh, anyone who is, who has bought a single piece of piece of our merch, let alone multiples, uh, to anyone who has who has signed up for our Patreon? Um, you guys are are you guys really give us the energy to keep this thing going? Yeah, uh, you know, speaking of like folks like buying merch, I you know I'm it's no secret I'm a I'm a designer by day, um, so I've I've seen things i've designed in national magazines i've seen stuff i've done you know on billboards and you know you name it, it, it I've, I've seen it 
elsewhere, you know, stuff that I, I've created. But like this year to get tagged in tweets of people sitting at a Braves game and the article of clothing they chose to wear was something that I drew and that they then purchased from us. That that's wild to me. That like, you know, y'all y'all going to a baseball game decide to wear something that I I made. That's just that's super cool. So again, like, you know, just to reiterate Alex, you know, those who supported the show monetarily whether it's being a patron or, you know, purchasing merchandise from us, thank you. That that's very cool and it certainly helps, you know, keep the lights on so to speak with the show, you know, and and keeping this thing rolling. Absolutely. Well, we had a lot of fun this season, guys. We know y'all did too. Atlanta Braves are the world champions, and the next time we talk to you, they still will be. Uh, But until then, for Kevin McAlpin, for Grant McCauley, for Jared Carabas, for Cam Matthews, my name's Alex. We will see y'all next season for a brand new episode of the Chatting Average Podcast. Bye! With that, we've reached the end of the show. If you want to connect with the show, you can contact us via text or voicemail at 678-242-9408 or on Twitter at Average Chatting. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash chatting average. We'll see you all next week on another brand new episode of the Chatting Average Podcast.